Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What is up, Gypsy gang? We are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast, and I'm stoked to bring you this one with a legend in the motorcycle world, but also just a legend of a dude. Uh, truly a really, really great human is Trey Kennard. He gave us a lot over his career. Uh, he won the championship in my first ever race, which was kind of cool. Um, so I've got some very, very fond Trey Kennard memories. And uh, I guess he was really the man while I was kind of like peak motocross, supercross in, in the US. Um, and he had some like really wild experiences throughout his career as well. And, and I just kind of found myself at a bunch of those crazy races. Uh, so this one was really cool for me just to, to get to talk to Trey about, I guess, all of those kind of wild times um, that he had, plus many, many more through his career. He has one of the most remarkable, uh, not only careers, but I guess just the way that he got to that point, losing his father at such a young age, um, and then really having to navigate everything that came with being one of the best motocross and supercross races of this generation. So I enjoyed this episode. Trey Kennard is an absolute legend of a dude. Um, and I really hope you guys enjoy the next few hours with uh, with such a, a cool, cool guy within the motorcycle industry. Before we do that, though, I need to bring you some words from our sponsors. And the first sponsor that I need to talk to you about is the team at AG1. Now, I have been leaning on AG1 more than ever to keep me in as good a shape as I can with how hectic life has been lately. In the last couple of months, I've racked up nearly 100 hours of international flight time. I've been running a bunch. I've been putting in my motos for World Vets. And I truly believe that this whole process would be a lot harder on my body if it wasn't for the daily habit of taking AG1 as soon as I wake up each morning. Normally, by this point of the year, with all the physical work, the mental work, and the travel I have to do, I would have been sick at least once or twice, but this year, I've managed to stay away from all those nasty winter bugs and the stuff that you get from planes and airports. AG1 is as good as it gets when it comes to an all-in-one nutritional supplement and is pound for pound one of the most impactful things you can do for your overall health in under one minute. Every scoop of AG1 is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients. And as far as the benefits that I feel from using AG1 on a consistent basis, well, I feel like it helps my digestion first and foremost. I don't feel as bloated as I used to after eating, and I've also noticed that I don't seem to be reaching for a second coffee of a morning the way that I used to. While all these benefits personally are great, I also love the fact that I get to be partnered with a brand that I truly enjoy using and has also benefited a bunch of the Gypsy Gang who have gone to drinkag1.com slash gypsy tales and ordered some of their own. 
If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash gypsytales. That's drinkag1.com slash gypsytales. Check it out. Winter sports or getting on the grog, you still need to care for your favorite hog with Manscaped. There is nothing wrong with growing out a new coat of manly chest hair to keep warm this winter. It's only an issue when you grow some matching fur panties. Stop letting the curly cues down there. Cover up the stars of the show with Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Join the 8 million men and 16 million nuts worldwide who already use Manscaped by going to manscaped.com and use the code GYPSYGANG for 20% off plus free shipping. Gentlemen, winter is not a time to get complacent and being the kind of man who is well-groomed from the waist down is to be a confident man. And I have Manscaped to thank for giving me Jet Lawrence-type confidence after going 8-0 to kick off the season. Grab your ghoulies, their new best mate, with the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. The kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 4.0, waterproof, cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. And their skin-safe tech will stop you from tearing your pubes to shreds. Inside the performance package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver, Ball Toner, and Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant Moisturizer. Just because it's cold doesn't mean those boys don't get smelly. And you can't forget about the Manscaped boxes that come with the kit. Don't let your boys hang out in the cold. Manscaped's dual pouch will make sure your gems are nestled safe and comfortable. And they round out the package with the Weed Whacker 2.0 because no one likes ear and nose hair. Plus, you get a shared travel bag to hold all of your new goodies. Do yourself a favor, get the best pack for your sack with the Performance Package 4.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code GYPSYGANG at manscaped.com. That's right, 20% off plus free shipping with the code GYPSYGANG at manscaped.com. Winter's coming, boys. And make sure your boys are prepared. We're also brought to you by the team at Tropical Auto Group. And if you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, then you cannot buy anything without picking up the phone and calling Kyle. He has been keeping us moving for the past three years and countless other members of the Gypsy Gang. Tropical Auto Group in Rockhampton stock Ford, Mitzi, Kia, Izuzu and Great Wall. And for the last 12 months, we have been wheeling the all new D-Max. If you're looking for a ute for work and play, I can't recommend that rig enough. We've driven it from Melbourne to Cape York, and it's safe to say she's passed the test. It's tax time right now, so make sure you head to tropicalauto.com and ask for Kyle, and you'll get a $500 gift voucher at MX Store with the purchase of a new or used car. We also need to give a shout out to Dry Times. Dry Times may have created the perfect towel with their quick drying, odor free, and super absorbent towel. It also takes up a fraction of the space of a traditional towel. They make towels for the gym, the beach, and even ponchos for post-surf. To find out more about this perfect towel, head to drytimes.com or check them out on Instagram at drytimes. And strike while the iron's hot with their end of financial year sale right now at drytimes.com. They have 20% off store-wide. 
The team at Dixon Flannel are also having their end of financial year sale and we're neck deep in winter right now in the Southern Hemisphere, so there has never been a better time to get into a fresh and crispy Dixon. These flannels have been solid in my rotation for years now and it's very rare that I go anywhere without one. Take advantage of this epic sale by heading to dixonquality.com.au. All right, that's it from me and the ads. Uh, We also have our membership platform, gypsytales.com, where you can go and sign up for access to these podcasts early. This Trey Canard podcast that you're about to enjoy has been up and live for over a week now. Um, So yeah, if you want to get exclusive content, if you want to get the podcast early, head to gypsytales.com. But that's it from me. Enjoy this episode with the one, the only Trey Canard. Rolling. Um, all right, let's get into it. Trey Kennard is joining Gypsy Tales, and I'm pretty pumped on it. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. I'm stoked. No, no. It's ha- hey, do you remember? Just a quick, quick question before we really get into it. Do you remember? me in the u.s there was like one day it was at like elsinore and you were like just about to leave the joint and i come up to you with my dad and i was like man my dad's like the biggest fan like would you take a photo of him and then there's like i've I've still got this photo of like you and my old boy and it just fully fully made his trip so i I didn't know if you remembered it (laughs) oh dude i hate to say this i don't remember it (laughs) (laughs) well you that photo and like just you doing that like just immortalized you in my household of like you just you earned like a lifelong fan out of that oh that's so cool that's so cool but that was i feel like that was kind of your career man everyone just loved you the the whole time you were in it and even now people still love you yeah man i i um shoot i never like really tried to be the nice guy you know i just try to be myself and and um I don't know. I, I, I just remember being like the, the young kid that was like probably too shy to, to ask for pictures. Um, I saw, uh, you know, an NBA player from Oklahoma City the other day at the airport. And I like, I wanted so bad to take a picture, but I was just, I was like too nervous to ask. But I just remember being that kid, you know, like wanting to, to like see my heroes and take a picture with them. So it, it was special for me to have people want to know me you know so anytime yeah. i i uh, had the opportunity it was it was cool for me yeah nah dude I, I yeah it's it's such a it's such a cool thing and it's funny you said like oh you were just being you and i think you know i talk about all the time like how you know oh we should have celebrated jay law more and when we should have like we need those kind of guys in the sport and my point in that is is like not everyone should be that guy it's like if you're that guy, you should be yourself. And I think that, you know, guys like you, guys like Dunge, there's no, you're never going to put on any kind of front because it's like not you. And you guys should be allowed to just be you too. You know what I mean? So I think yeah. that there's like, the, we need the guys like you that are just literally the nicest people in the world. And then we need the guys on the other end of the spectrum to like kind of, you know, balance and bounce off each other. It's, so like I guess my point whenever I'm talking about that is like let's not level out and try and make everyone the same because it's like we've got Trey Kennard and he can do that thing and Dunge can do that thing but then over here like we should have these other guys too you know yeah I, I mean it like it does a, a huge disservice to 
people when you you want them to be a certain way like j-law for instance you know if you take j-law and you you tell them to be this like clean cut like good american kid it just it looks bad because it's not who he is and you can't really fake that you know it's like how he grew up his household his circumstances created jason lawrence and so for for us to ask him to be anything other than himself is kind of like is not really a good thing but i i appreciate now it seems like the age of social media is maybe getting a little bit back to personality you know like we're seeing personality from writers rather you know my age was like everyone was kind of doing that like super serious focused thing and then the J laws were kind of like banned, you know, where I see, yeah. I see it kind of going the other way now. Like guys can be a little more themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny. So like you win your championship and then on the opposite coast, J law won his championship. <laughs> and it's like, you couldn't have two more different dudes on like each separate coast. What do you, what, what did you like think of him at that time? I was just scared of him, honestly. <laughs> it, I, I saw like how it went with Dungey, and I'm like, dude, I, I just do not want to get on this dude's bad side. And, and for whatever reason, he, he we were always cool. Like he, he liked me for some reason. But I just remember going like, dude, I don't know if I can handle the stuff he says to Dungey. Like some of the stuff that came out of his mouth, just witnessing it, I'm like, I couldn't handle that. I would like just start crying or, you know, I don't know how I would have handled it, but... Um, so I was always nervous about him, but I remember racing the East West shootout that year and going like, he he came up to me before the race even started. And he's like, I don't care about this race. Like I'm probably going to pull off halfway. And so I was like, okay, well, at least I know I can beat him tonight. Cause he he obviously doesn't care about this, but I, I think he did. I think he pulled off like halfway, but, um, yeah, interesting guy. And I like, I don't know. We, we always got along for whatever reason. No, oh, that that's super cool. It was uh, it was a bit of a weird time in the sport in that kind of in that kind of era because yeah, like those kind of like badass dudes sort of still existed. They were like the last of a dying breed. And like you think about two thousand seven Loretta's, it's like you, Izzy, Stroop. Uh, who am I? Who am I missing there, Griff? That's pretty much the boys, yeah. It's and it's like Will, Will Hahn was in that group. Oh yeah, Will. But yeah. I mean, Will yeah. was very like nicest dude in the world as well, you know. Yeah. So like, there yeah. was a little bit of like polarity in that kind of group. And do you do you remember like knowing that those dudes were kind of off the rails when you were younger? Like, what what was your like perspective of those dudes? Because that was like your graduating class, you know. Yeah, I, it, it's different, you know, because. Um you know, when we were really young, they were like training facility, you know, the families were like living in motorhomes for like months of the year. And like, I remember seeing, uh, Nico, especially like they had like an eight thirty bedtime or something, you know? And I, I was like, you know, if we were training at times I would be, you know, my mom would be home working. And so it'd just be me and, and my mechanic and, and maybe a friend or two. And, uh, we were like pretty loose, you know, we, we kind of would watch movies at night and sleep in. And, and, you know, it was like, it was, you know, we were being 14, 15 year old kids. And I remember, you know, Nico being like, man, this is strict. And, um, so there was that. And then, you know, whenever we kind of got closer to that 17, 16, 17, 18 years of age, you know, I, I definitely, you start hearing stories, you know, about, 
people doing certain things. And I, I was always, you know, my, my life was, was pretty serious from a pretty, pretty young age. So I was pretty straight laced and, you know, focused and, and, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really get outside the lines and and you start hearing the things that, that are happening and you don't know how much of it's truth, but yeah, yeah. you know, it, a couple of years into our, you know, professional career, I was, I was, you know, I was always super straight laced, but you know, you start hearing more stories in that. So I would say kind of the beginning of our uh, our pro career is when you start. Okay, yeah, there's there's a little truth to what's happening. Yeah, because I always wondered, you know, like because you would hear things. I mean, like everyone kind of hears things, and I just I wonder, like, because I yeah, I just remember I remember you being the like when I was there in the states was like when you I was sort of saw like a lot of the start of your career actually the first race I ever went to was Parlo and you won the championship and nice. uh so I was like kind of you were you know really doing your thing when, when I was over there and yeah like you'd, you'd hear stuff and and uh which you know if I hear it then obviously you're right like you're probably gonna hear it and yeah. uh yeah I wondered like what you thought from like that side of the fence you know yeah, it, it, I, you know, I was always kind of like, I, I had a hard time kind of like, you know, chatting with the boys because, you know, they're they're talking about, you know, parties and, and this and that. And I'm kind of like this, this like little neat, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. kid from the central part of the U.S., kind of like a little naive uh, guy, like, you know, it wasn't really computing with me, but, but you hear a lot of it. And um, so I, I kind of struggled to fit into that that kind of side of things but I, I definitely heard a, a lot you know yeah 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 no I, I could imagine it being like kind of a yeah like a bit of a a weird sort of deal it's probably weird just going into pro like to a pro career as well like and you guys you guys like that was probably one of the craziest graduating classes or like around that time you know and it was like big contracts big money super young kids like moving to California away from parents and stuff for the first time like I mean I feel like things get done a little bit differently nowadays but that was a pretty crazy era to be a part of and you've like survived it maybe the best out of all of them yeah it was wild I mean we all came in kind of like at the height uh, I mean the, the numbers and stuff for contracts for like a select few riders are kind of back to that height but um money was like just pouring in in that time, you know, 06, 07 guys were making lots of money. You know, I signed my, my first deal. And I mean, I, I thought it was a lot of money and, and, and what I hear, it's still pretty good money. Um, and then we, we, you know, like I remember, you know, just, I've moved to Southern California, like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fresh 17 year old kid, you know, I, I raced the last four nationals and then I, I as a 16 year old, and I moved in with my mechanic as a 17 year old. I didn't even know how to do my own laundry. You know, I remember my mom like showing me how to, okay, yeah, this is how you do laundry. And I, I was just like lost, you know, and then she went back to Oklahoma and I just like spent the next four months, like figuring it out. Um, and it, and it seems like it's better now. It's, it's just such a hard thing to figure out, like, cause you're still a kid and you don't know a lot about life and you don't have a lot of life experience. So all of a sudden you're a professional athlete and, and then you've got all this money rolling in and all this new responsibility. And it's tough, man, because you, you kind of need your parents, but at the same time, 
you know, the teams and that, they, they kind of want to like separate yeah. a little bit. And that, and it's hard, you know, cause like, you know, my little brother's in, in college football and, um, the parents are just like, they go from high school football where they're like, they are yeah. in everything. Parents are talking to the coaches and then, you know, it's like we went and dropped them off at college and you, you get like an update email, yeah. you know, like yeah. every, every week or whatever. And, and that's it, you know, and you, you go and you cheer from the sidelines where, you know, our sport as a 16 year old kid, you can't even rent your own car. So you need your parents, but, uh, but it, it just gets really sticky, you know, cause, um, you, you need that support, but at the same time, you also need to try to become your own individual. And I feel like in that time, it, things got pretty sticky with, with a lot of different guys. Yeah. Did you feel a lot of pressure as a, as like in that, in that exact moment of time where your mum's leaving and you're like, you know, even, even I think about like, where's the, where's the money go? Like, do you just have like a checking account that's getting like 40 grand a month put in it? And then like every <laughs> month you're like, there's another, like, what is going on here? You know, like I can imagine that's a, cause you spend your life thinking that's what you want and that's what you're like working towards. But then there's like literally a day where it's like, okay, I'm getting paid on like the 15th and then it's the 15th again. And then, and you're just like, what is going on here? Yeah, it's, it's odd, you know? Um, and I was pretty naive to it. You know, I remember like asking my mom, Hey, you know, I really like to buy a van, you know, like, you think I can buy like this used van? And she's like, yeah, you can buy a van. <laughs> like, and, and then, you know, we went and like paid cash for it or whatever, but, um, it's, it's odd. And, and it, it opens a whole new world of like problems too, yes. you know, cause, cause you, all of a sudden you're in this, like, you go from like your family scraping by just acquiring so much debt just to race on the weekends as an amateur. And then it's like, okay, now you enter this high tax bracket. And so you, you've got to think about just paying taxes. And it's like, you, you're like, how much of my money is going to the government? It's like, a, I remember writing those quarterly checks going like, wow you know it's yeah so there's there's a whole new set of problems that come with the making making all that money because it's just stuff you don't think about when you're you know you don't have a, a lot of cash flow but it's it's an odd experience and, and something that i i wish there was a more of a kind of school to go to you know a, a little bit of mentorship that that you could plug into. And I, and I know a lot of guys have their agents and that kind of thing, but I wish there's some kind of organization that could go, Hey, we know what you're, what you're going through right now. And it's a bit of a whirlwind. Let's, let's help you along, you know, try to make those steps. So, cause it's, it's a lot, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and how did, like, how did you feel about it when you were in it? Like, do you remember feeling any type of way? Like, was there a lot of pressure? Was the, because like man I could just imagine I could imagine so many ways where it goes where it's like I don't even want to think about it I just want to think about my writing or it's like that's this massive distraction so then you're like okay I need to get this taken care of so I can concentrate or did you feel pressure like because I feel one of the things that I felt when I've started making a little bit more money was like when you got nothing you got nothing to lose you know and then once once you like once you start making a little bit more money, you're like, Oh, like I could actually lose, I could actually lose all this now, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I think it, it didn't hit me 
because at first it was just cool, you know. I'm just, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. wow, man. I'm like, I'm 16, and and uh, wow, I just signed this this contract. It just all seemed so surreal. Like, yeah, it didn't make much sense to me. Like, I don't think I was computing what was happening. And then I, I think, I, you know, I won my championship, and then I bought this property. And then it became like there's a tangible thing, you know, yeah. like there's the the money in the account was kind of like this like magical thing sitting over here. And then it like when I bought my property, it was like, wow, there's this there's this mountain to kind of manage and take care of. And that that's when it became overwhelming to me. And and um, and all of a sudden I was like, wow, you know, I've got to keep this up. And it, and it became a lot. But uh before that point, you know, it was just like, oh, there's this magical land of money sitting in an account somewhere. And uh, it didn't seem real almost, you know. Um, and that that definitely, you know, a lot of pressure came with that property. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can imagine, man. So um, so switch switch gears a little bit. You're testing today on myself. I, I don't mind messing with some clickers. So <laughs> what what were you working on today? Yeah, we're doing some uh, mapping stuff with the 250. Um, okay. You know, we've got the, the get system there. So uh, playing with that a little bit, um, which was fun. Like it, it was really cool messing around with that and um, having the support from the get guys. And um, I, I enjoy the 250, man. It's so fun to ride. So it's a little bit difficult to test sometimes, especially mapping because, you know, the 450, you can go 5% here and 5% there. And it's a big difference where the 250, you know, 5% is not really like a huge change a lot, but you know, today we, we, we made a lot of changes and, and, uh, it was fun because it, you, you know, you could feel the difference. And then, you know, I felt like it was a, a lot of progress. So it was, it was cool. Yeah, man. I can imagine that, uh, being a HRC test rider might be the gig. Like it might be the dream. <laughs> yeah, it's it's cool until uh, you know it's four o'clock and the whoops are like got a bunch of landmines in them. And they're like, hey, go go try this part. No one's ridden it yet, but good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, I bet, it's I, I bet it's good until like eleven a.m. every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's uh man, it's been the best thing for me after racing. Um, you know, my first year retiring. I kind of went into this, you know, I was doing this kind of safety deal and, and, um, it was fun for a few months and then it was met with a lot of resistance. And I, uh, once I realized that wasn't going anywhere, I, I didn't do anything for probably six months and it was a really strange time. I mean, it was the I first bet. time in my, in my life where I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do today, you know, and, and I don't know what I'm going to do next week. And it was really strange you know your identity gets all kind of out of whack and you you uh your your drive your purpose it, it seems really vague so for me to to be able to kind of step out of the racing and then and then but still be involved with it and still be able to ride a lot you know that it's been kind of like the best thing for me these last five years yeah i, I can't imagine i can't imagine the difficulty that it would you'd face when you just kind of like cold turkey quit racing you know like you've kind of you literally have nowhere to be and nothing to do 
and you know if you've played your cards right and you've made some money in your career like you sh- you shouldn't have to do anything again but that's like that's a very weird place to be when you're in your late 20s yeah it, man it's so strange because no one around you like in a normal life like when you see them, a lot of times their question is, what do you do? And so, you know, I got to the point where I would just start telling people nothing. <laughs> they'd, they'd be like, so what do you do? And I, I would just say I have nothing, you know, like I just, cause everyone wants an answer. Like they, they want to know like, Hey, what's your next steps? You know? And I didn't know. And man, it is, it's odd because you know, from 19 years old, I had contracts, I had responsibilities, I had a place to be, a goal to strive for and then you know to do that for basically 20 years you know to to just hit the stop button yeah is odd is is really odd and you you got a lot of life in front of you so so what do you do at that point it's not a fun time did you were you cognizant of it though when you were racing and then kind of getting towards the end of your career that okay, I, I need to be Trey Kennard outside of, like, Trey Kennard the racer because I think that, you know, there's a lot of guys and, I mean, dude, I, I can see guys where they're, they've been retired for a while and they're still, like, a, their identity is still so tied to, like, what they did and their accomplishments and who they were. Is It's, like, it's a very slippery, very slippery slope and I feel like it can cause a lot of unhappiness in people. It can cause people to like keep going maybe way longer than they should, which can lead to like injuries. And then like you can really compound struggle if you don't have the identity part of the equation kind of figured out before you pull that ripcord. Yeah. And, and it's hard to, uh, to think that way. Right. Cause when you're in it, you gotta be like in it in it like totally submerged so to think like hey in five years I'm gonna you know pull the plug and I'm gonna open a coffee shop you know whatever it is it's like your head doesn't even go there and it can't really go there because especially like the the one of the reasons I knew I was done is I was I was racing Redbud in 2017 and I was thinking and I was like and then all of a sudden I'm not reacting yeah and so I, I just thought, man, I, I can't be out there, you know, thinking about what I'm going to be doing and, and worrying about, you know, is this is this going to be dangerous for me or is that mistake going to be cause an injury or, you know, when I stopped, you know, responding and reacting to what was happening and started thinking about it too much, I was like, no. Nah. And so I, I guess why I say this, man, you got to be like, neck deep in it all the time to to do it at your best and to do it safe so to think like five years out is really tough to do Mm. and then on top of that is you know take a a college athlete you know or uh you know an nba player you know football whatever it is um you know you spend a lot of your childhood in like you know school sports and maybe you do three four or five different sports and then you kind of land on one, one, maybe two kind of thing that you specialize in. And then you go to college and then you spend four years working on a degree and, you know, 
working on your craft and then maybe you make it to a professional league and by that time you're 22 23 years old and you've got a lot of different life experience behind you yeah where kind of like action sports athletes we start so young like we're contracted at eight nine years old at to some degree and then your your whole identity it never has an opportunity to see yourself outside of that you know so 100%. you're hundred percent you're just like, I'm Trey the racer and I, I don't know what I am outside of that because I've never really experienced anything outside of that. And so I think we're a lot of guys in the action sports world get sideways when they're done racing is they, they literally don't know who they are without that. And so, um, it's, it's difficult and I, and I'm happy that I have this, this testing role because it, it kind of allows me to have one foot in the door and then also kind of continue to try to figure out who I am outside of, of motorcycles. So yeah, it's, it's a tough, tough one to, to figure out. Yeah, man. And, and not a lot of guys get, you know, that opportunity that, that you got to kind of, you know, like you said, you still got one foot in the door, like you're still at the races, like you're still, because I mean, you'd love it too, you know, like, I think that that's another thing is like, you look at a guy like Chad Reed or Jeremy McGrath or it's like as if they would stop racing if they could like keep do you know what I mean like oh yeah could McGrath keep doing, would still just, be being supercross champion if it could yeah you'd still do it you know like you yeah. love to do it and then it's like when something that you love gets taken away um and then there's like it, yeah it's so it's so gnarly like oh what bikes are you going to be on is anyone going to give you bikes does anyone care enough about you when you're done to give you bikes or are you going to be the two-time supercross champion that's rolling up to a dealership <laughs> buying <laughs> you know like there's there's some like weird feelings that come with that too you know like there's uh, actually a lot to navigate it's weird and, and i don't think you realize how addicted you are to all of the, the mm. good chemicals you know I, I remember you know whenever i a couple stories come to mind whenever i first stopped um i really stopped before my for my head i had um kind of three or four concussions the last couple of years that were i had them and i wasn't recovering like yeah like i had before you know like yeah. the symptoms were lasting longer and longer and there was a lot of research about CTE coming out and it, it just got spooky. So I didn't do anything physically for probably five months. Yeah. And I remember riding my mountain bike and I washed the front end, like going over this little spine and I started laughing and I was like, you know, I'd always heard the term adrenaline junkie and I'm like, that's yeah. so stupid. Like, I don't, yeah. I'm not in it for the adrenaline but I started giggling, you know, like not even really thinking about it. And then it just hit me in that moment going like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're maybe whack. it was a little, maybe it was a little <laughs> bit about all the, all the, the good feeling adrenaline and, and just, uh, another story that comes to mind is, is Ryan Hughes. I remember going to Anaheim one, I was doing my safety deal and, uh, he came up to me. He's like, how you doing, man? And I was, you know, giving him the the standard hey i'm you know great just trying to figure life out and and he goes now how you doing and uh, <laughs> i'm like dude i'm i'm struggling <laughs> but he, he, we were standing on the floor of anaheim and he, he kind of goes like once you once you've been in this yeah. you know how do you go anywhere else and and i you know i i respect that because 
you know, once you've been on the the center of attention to 60,000 plus people, you don't realize how much of that, you know, a validation and recognition and namesake, all that, you don't realize how much of that is actually feeding your identity and making you feel good. And you don't realize how much of that you're actually doing it for. And, and you know, especially for me, I, you know, faith was always a big deal to me. So, um, you know, those types of things are things that I would, would kind of shy away from in a way yep, as far yep. as, you know, getting validation from people and that kind of thing. But I, I guess I just didn't realize how much of that I was really kind of addicted to. Yeah. Um, whether it was the, you know, Hey Trey, you're a great guy. You know, I love watching you ride. Remember this race or that race or, you know, Hey, you know, like, man, that scrub was sick. I have that poster. You don't realize how much of that is actually feeding your identity and until it's like not there, you know? And then you, and then you're like, well, if if people aren't telling me who I am, then, then who am I? And I don't know who I am unless people are telling me who I am. And so it's a strange thing to navigate, but, um, but I think you can come out of it. You know, I, I think a lot of people get bitter, you know, they, they, yeah. they hit that hard stop and then they're like, I hate racing. I hate, you know, no, no one called me whenever I stopped and got out of the sport and no one, you know, no one wants to give me a bike. Like you said, that kind of thing. And, um, I, I can see how it could be easy to get that way, but you got to realize how much of it was really good, you know? Yeah. And, and, um, man, not, not many people get the chance to do that like it is a small percentage of the population so um it's a difficult perspective switch but i think if you can you can be grateful for what what it was and realize wow this was a a great time in my life i think if you can take that i think yes that's, that's the way to look at it yeah man honestly like really cool to hear you talk about it and and you're being a man of faith in the way that you are I mean, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about identity and false idols. You know, that's a it's a big part of that book yeah. is yeah. is to is to try and, you know, like help people navigate, you know, those kind of of challenges and yeah, I I feel like you would have quite a, you know, a solid perspective on it from that lens and, you know, for you to say like it's hard, you know, like uh you, you go through it and even being cognizant of it it's still hard to like not dive in or like lean into the effects and it's super funny like with the podcast i you know like i haven't even been in america for five years that's where the podcast is the biggest and it's like there that's numbers on a screen so you're like okay we've had five million downloads this month we've had six million what it's like that's a lot of people but you you don't it's very hard to like quantify it so it's like i'm a very normal person when there's no studio and when there's no internet like if i don't go on my phone if i don't i'm a very normal like it's just me and then if i go into internet world or if i go to a supercross race, then it's like a very different thing and it's so weird to see like the feelings that are attached in the like it's, it is a very, very weird thing to, to kind of navigate. And it's, 
I'm, I'm kind of glad I went through it at the age I did, you know, like I think I was like 29 or 28 when I even started the podcast. And luckily, I, I fit, being around a lot of people that went through it as well, I think I could kind of like see how it had like affected people. But yeah, you're very right, man. Like there'll be a, a big podcast go out and you're just crushing it. You're getting millions of views and you're seeing the AdSense money go up and then you're seeing the comments and people are stoked and people are calling you. And then and then you've got a couple of weeks where there's like not that much going on and the phone doesn't ring and the money doesn't go. You just like, you start to feel like this, this pull towards that thing again. You know, it's, it's very, very weird to monitor in yourself. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I think for me, I didn't realize too like that I mm. craved it. You know, um, you know, I would go to like these, you know, these summer camps or whatever. You know, and and uh, you know, FCA camps, things like that. Panic Rev, all these ministries in in the motor industry, and I'd be like, you know, hey, my identity is in my faith. You know, I'm outside of this. You know, this is something I do. It's not who I am. Yeah, and. Uh, and that's that's one thing to say, but it's a whole nother thing. I think it's really tested whenever you don't have the thing that's been been feeding that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's. I, I think though it's I'm I'm grateful that I learned that you know in my twenties though because it's easy to see something like once I get there I'll be happy, happy yep. content. Yep whatever it is and to kind of learn that there's always going to be a something or a somewhere pretty early in life is is pretty cool because you kind of realize like hey you know when I won my first championship I woke up the next morning and nothing changed I mean I had more money but um it nothing changed in my life as far as the way I felt about myself or anything like yeah, that yeah, so yeah to me, it opens up like I wish I could have learned this while I was racing because I don't think I would have put so much emphasis on my results or how people perceived me or anything. I, I think I just would have done it. And, and I, well, I'm tr- how I'm trying to do this testing roles, I'm doing this because I one, I have a skill set for it, but two, because I really like it. Yeah. And uh, that's a pure way to do something, you know, and, and I think you can get a lot of enjoyment out of out of doing things that way um you know whereas if you're doing it for attention even if you're not aware of it and then you don't have that it's a it's a bit of a letdown you know but if but if I'm doing this just because I really want to do it it's in my core and it's it's something it's a part of my story and I I want to continue to do it because simply because I like it uh that's a to me that's way way more pure way more enjoyable yeah yeah and and i so i completely agree and um and it's very hard when the outcome of you being successful at those things gets you the the other things you know but i I think that that's probably like my advice to anybody when whenever people come to me for like if it's media stuff or if it's like whatever they're they're trying to do i always just say to people like if you can figure out some things that are always there like because views aren't always there money's not always there but if you can figure out something that's always there that you really really love about what you're doing then like you can kind of make it through 
those times because there's always going to be peaks. There's always going to be valleys. And it's like, you have to have something that's like this central line that stays in the middle of those, those highs and lows. And if you can do it for those reasons, then you are going to be able to succeed long-term. But also like, that's when you do get the, the rewards, you know, it's like, if you, if you are the person that loves training and loves riding their bike and loves the challenge of going racing and testing themselves and working on their weaknesses, like you're probably like, that's always going to be there. Like you can always rely on that in yourself. And then with that, you're probably going to get some pretty good race results, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you're actually doing your best in that mindset. Yeah. Rather than, you know, kind of chasing results or money or if I get this bonus or yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Like I, I think someone that's probably done that really well is Justin Brayton, you know, he, dude he, uh, for sure. Yeah. He, I mean, he, I remember going to our local arena cross and watching JB when I was like, I must've been 12 or 13 and I, I'm like, who, you know, who is this guy? And then, uh, I remember my first year, racing professionally and like that's that's the same justin brayton that was at the lazy e in guthrie oklahoma <laughs> like 10 years ago um and just to see the way that he has progressed like you know to to see i, I mean at the last three years i mean man he was riding awesome like unbelievable and to to see his journey like he he was concerned about his craft in kind of making sure that he made the most of this opportunity and yeah I'm sure you know he had his goals or whatever but um I just think he did that really well and and I think Ken's probably done that pretty good this last year I was literally about to say I think that Kenny showing up to high point because his son said he wanted to go to the races that's like a really beautiful example of that as well you know like Kenny could have rocked up and got smoked by time master pool but <laughs> and like he w- and he would have been cool with it you know like yeah. he went there with like really pure intentions did his thing and got a great result as a you know as as the outcome yeah and, and what's cool you know having the experience of just getting to know Ken the last few years and then staying in touch with him through this whole process um you know I was kind of talking with him as he was riding all those bikes and and I, and I told him, I said, just ride all of them, you know, in, in yeah. production testing, we ride all of them. And there, there's things I like about each bike, but one of them is going to fit you, you know? And when he rode that Suzuki, I remember talking to him and he's like, dude, I love the thing, you know? And yeah. it was like kind of surprising to me because it's got such a bad rap over the last few years, but it was cool because, you know, I, I really think, I, yeah, he got paid well to go there, but I really think that he made that decision purely based on what he wanted and you know to see kind of this last year unfold for him is really cool because I, I I definitely saw the difficulties that he had the last few years and and it was becoming difficult for him to keep showing up and it was becoming I think no fun for him mm. and now to see where he is now and, it, and it's like it's pure for him it's pure for him to be at the races and pure for him to want to train and um, it's really cool for me to see as his friend, you know, to, to yeah. see him where he's at now. Yeah. And you know, like in, in years past, I mean, guys just wouldn't do this sort of stuff. Like it, it almost seems like they're no one had really kind of 
created a mold where like you could go from HRC to a privateer Suzuki team on a 2017 model bike with a you know what I mean like that's just not something that like people would do so it's whatever's changed or whatever's in Ken it's really cool that it's like that's okay and people celebrated it and then he went out and achieved amazing results like i mean dude indy was it indy him and basha one of the greatest one of the best main events i've ever seen you know like and two really really rad guys that i mean dude you could almost lump jb in that category uh, basha as well in that category like there's just a dude that loves riding a bike and he's like figured out that there's shit he likes doing with cycling training racing having his wife and kid there making his making his fun videos and it's like you can kind of see that he's also another one of those guys it's just like living the dream yeah i I love it man i I think um kind of my era of racing it was there was kind of like this blueprint you needed to follow you know and it was like when you watch the media and and what was happening it was like pit boards and bicycles and laps and you know the the like dramatic like sweat off the brow kind of shot when i was a kid dude i I grew up on terra firma you know it was like these dudes in the hills like you know and funny skits and the the videos and it was fun man like i just i wanted to do what i was seeing on terra firma and so i you know when i look back on kind of my era it's like almost a little disappointing because you lose, especially for the next generation, when they when they watch that, they're like, they're, they're going to go repeat that, you know? Yeah. And so you lose a lot of the joy of just riding a bike, being in a fun community. And so to see like now with the vlogs, uh, you know, a lot of the social media and people having fun, like I think it's like nothing but good for the sport. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And so do you... Th- do you, was your career like actually different to how you imagined it being as a kid? Like, so you grew up and all the training and all the riding that you were doing, you're like, one day I'm going to get a terra firma part. And instead you got like <laughs> muscle milk <laughs> on a cycle bike <laughs> grinding with pit boards. Uh, totally. I like em- envisioned myself at like Castillo Ranch to like face to face. I'm like on my little BMX bike going, nah, you know, you know, no, watch you, what, you know. Yeah, and yeah. here I am, like, you know, this like super serious documentary about coming back from a back injury, um, which, you know, hey, it was all great, but it was definitely different. And, and I think it was a little bit hurtful to our sport that era because it was so uh like the, it was like ter- the terminator you know it was like this very rigid kind of you got to fit this mold and be this guy and uh and now it's like i see i see more personality showing up and uh and i love that i think it's it's awesome and guys so, are racing longer you know when yeah. i when i was racing it was like if you were if you made it to 30 like you were like oof <laughs> remember being in the autograph lines with K-Dub at like 32 and people were like, what are you hey there, old man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now like our champions are like 30, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. I think it's, it's creating longe- longevity for the riders too. Nah, definitely. Uh, speaking of longevity, 
Are you gonna? Uh, are you coming for this fifteen grand that's uh, up at Washougal for the top finishing two stroke? <laughs> surely there's a <laughs> surely there's a two thousand and seven CR two fifty that you can get. <laughs> oh, dude, I've rolled the dice at Washougal and it's come up Snake Eyes a couple times and it's true. Come up, yeah, true. I, I like. I don't even want to touch that track. <laughs> one of my best days riding ever there, twenty ten. You know, I think I qualified first or second and then both whole shots and both wins and then i had you know 08 was the first time i broke my femur in a turn with a lapper there and then uh, 2011 up horsepower hill so anytime i left washugo like on my two feet i was like happy yeah. about it <laughs> yeah anytime you were the one driving out of washugo was a good day exactly exactly that hospital ride the ambulance is like the worst too because that road it's going like into the track windy and bumpy and like 30 minutes long it oh I with it with a femur bro oh yeah the second time i broke my femur there i remember going like dude just please like take me to my rental car i can't stand to be strapped to this i did it once i don't want to do it again but they're like no you know you could have internal bleeding whatever but yeah so not lining up at Washougal for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I wonder who's going to... Did you see that? The, the whole Moto memes thing that they, they yeah. put? Yeah, yeah. Dude, 15 Gs for a two-strokes. Actually, that's a pretty sick little deal. That's good money. Like, you, you don't just go make 15 Gs, like, out of well, the blue right now. I think that's what you get to win the 450 class for the It's event. probably less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think when I last, you know, the national I won was like, I think it was like 10 or 12 grand or something, but yeah, go do good on a two stroke. You make that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so to, to go back to the, the testing thing, uh, a little bit, how does a, a factory 250 F today compare to the one you won your championship on in 2010 carbureted <laughs> twin pipes? <laughs> Dude. That that bike, especially my first couple of years, was like it was fast, but it was scary to ride. Like, just the I bomb. remember my yeah my first uh, couple of weeks on Supercross. You know, you blip it in the air like bap, bap, you know, normal stuff. I, I remember Christian Kibby, who was kind of our yeah motor yeah. develop it. Uh, he was like, "Hey man, you got to quit doing that." <laughs> he was like, "That that could be bad." So I, I like developed this <laughs> habit. He would like, if you need to adjust in the air, just give it like a little crack, you know, she'd be like in a rhythm going, you're at, (laughs) it sounded so funny, but you just had to do it. Uh, Because if you, if you loaded that thing up too much and went to get on the throttle, you'd get a massive boo up and, you know, it could, it could be over. Same with like nowadays, you know, kids, they don't use the clutch to like, uh, like if you're going to seat bounce is something they just it's like full gas you know like mm. whenever i was riding if you did that you're you're just asking to get a big bog and <laughs> in, indo in so to this day i still do it you know even though our bikes don't really do that anymore it's it's like man it was it was something else <laughs> dude I, I i don't know how basha got around on that thing Thankfully, his his first year of Supercross, we had fuel injection, which the, uh, the thing was so slow. But it, at least it didn't it didn't bog. Yeah, dude, I I just can't even imagine the uh, the level change between like a 2010 to a, a 2023 factory CR two CRF two fifty. Yeah, I I like 
I rode yesterday and uh, we're, we're just trying to get some endurance time on, on a couple parts. And I did, you know, I did like three twenty fives and a 15 and just trying to get time. And dude, I was like, you had to like pull me off the track. Cause I was just, I was having so much fun. It, it's like the perfect bike to ride. Like if, if anyone off the street could buy a bike and they wanted to spend like a hundred grand, <laughs> <laughs> buy a works 250 because dude it, it's so fun it's like the 450 even the stock ones are just so fast like you you have like two or three hairy moments in the day where you're like dude that could have went so sideways i could have like grabbed a handful when i didn't want to and and had a big one where the the works 250 is so fast and you never really yeah, I could use more horsepower here and there, but you never really go like, oh, this thing's such a turd. You know, it's, I can't get out of my way. But you don't have those those scary moments, you know? Uh, yeah. So to me, it's like the perfect all-time all time bike to ride. So I guess if you have 100 grand laying around and you want to change the thing up every <laughs> 10 hours, then get one. But it, it's so fun. I, I love it. How does it. How does a factory 250F, compare power wise or engine wise maybe even like riding style wise to a stock 450 i i would say it's still slower you know like um like our works 450s like are not i would say they're not really any faster than a stock 450 it's just so much horsepower they're a lot easier to ride and you know we we make them so if you need the power you can use it and then it, it gets like really you know, linear and, and, you know, if you, if you need the horsepower, it's there, but it's really easy to ride down low. So, um, so I'd say the stock 450 is probably still faster, but the, the works 250 is so crisp and the, the FI is just so good that you could probably go a lot faster on the, the works 250 just because it's, it, you're, you're so connected and you have the horsepower when you need it. Whereas the stock one, sometimes you get, you get yeah. out of hand quick, you know, and you got to yeah. roll out of it. And, um, so I, I would say it's still slower, but it's, it's, uh, not by much and yeah. it's, it's way more usable. Yeah. Yeah. I rode a, uh, I rode a stock. I think it has a pipe on it actually. Um, but, uh, 450 in Dubai in the sand and I got a gas, gas 450 over there, box stock, well, motor wise, it's got suspension, but, um, just did a back to back lap on this Honda and I was just like, holy shit, bro. Like this thing, it's like in the, the middle of that power band is just like a whole lot of shit. I don't need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think they probably get irritated with me in production testing. Cause I'm like, I'm always, I like, I want that slow map, you know, it put me in trail rider mode, you know, that's all yeah. I need. Um, and that, you know, you kind of need that, like, you know, your, your everyday guy that's buying a 450 wants that like exciting, uh, power, but I'm always like, man, make it slower. <laughs> I just, I just want to, like, I don't need that, you know? And here I am like, as a former champion, as a, you know, yeah, tester you for the race ride. team, <laughs> I don't need it. You know, I'm, I'm like over here trying to do the traction control and the slow map, you know? And then it, it's funny to me when I, you know, I see these guys at the local level, you know, buying cams and pistons and I'm like, you're never going to outride that bike. You just bought like stock, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. 
Dude, my, my dad, it's so funny, man. My dad, the shit that he said to me when I was 12 has just never been more right in my life to this, <laughs> to this day. My dad would always say, I'm like, I'm going to get a pipe. I want to get this. Dad's like, buy new tires, mate. New tires is where you're going to get your lap times from. Like, as soon as you start start thinking you want anything extra for your bike, just walk down to the shop and buy five sets of brand new tires because that's your lap <laughs> yeah. time. So true. So yeah, true, I have bro. These, I have these friends at home and they're, they're pretty new to riding, which has been like, is so fun That'd for me to That'd be cool see. for you, yeah. Because they love it, man. And, and And sometimes I'm like, dude, I just spent like a week like doing this. Like, I don't want to talk about it right now. But there, it is so cool to see how much they love it, and they're they, the stuff they buy for their bikes. I'm, I'm like, you'll never. They always like laugh at me because I'm like, oh, it's, dude, it's just keep it stock. You know, you're good. Yeah. But I appreciate it too because one, it's like that's the economy of our sport. You know, these these companies that are being fueled by the enthusiasts. But I'm, it, it's I probably they probably get tired of me saying like, dude, just your bike's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need anything. You know, just just ride it out of the out of the crate get your tires you know your air filters your oil all that stuff but um but but it is also cool for me to see their their enthusiasm you know they're they're reading the the test reports and they're like hey did you see what Kiefer said about this and yeah, is that yeah. true and yeah. you know it's like i heard jet did this so i'm gonna do it to my to my bike and uh it, it's 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 fun for me to see i i really have appreciated their their love for for the this this passion yeah, and I think, I mean, dude, I'm sitting here as the worst guy. I've got a set of A-kit showers on my KTM right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm that guy. But, uh, but I mean, I think that there's, yeah, there's just something so fun about, like, customizing and tuning. And, you know, it's like, it's greater than the sum of its parts, you know, like to defend every vet rider out there that, that loves loves that stuff you know it's like i just love being in the shed and bolting on a set of triple clamps and some bar mounts and you know new suspension and trying new suspension like to to me it's just there's i I ain't ever gonna win a race i ain't ever gonna be that guy you know so it's like this is what i can do that's fun for me yeah and it's man it's i didn't realize how much i loved the development side of things as a racer, you know, it, it is fun to see change. Like whenever yep. you bolt something on and you go, wow, that was, that was different. That was better. Or, oh, that was worse. I don't, I want to go, you know, a different direction. It's for me, that's, that's half the fun now is, is, is seeing that progression and trying to find what you like. It's like a fun puzzle that never really gets solved. Yeah. But, but you're constantly trying to, to change it and and then it's fun just to look at the stuff man like yeah i look at some of our parts sometimes and it's just like dude like when they they like make a, a lever or something and it's like fully etched out you know it started out as a piece of metal and it you know machine made it it's just like it's so cool yeah no no, no. hey I, i'm right there with you i uh i recently have like kind of had the you know when people say like your suspension works better the harder that you go and then you're like cool man sounds good i'm still scared <laughs> so i've like <laughs> i've like finally i've got this set up in my shock right now 
where like I was at the track the so I'm doing I'm doing world vets at the end of the year so I'm like fully racer guy spec at the moment and uh, out doing like three twenties a day and like <laughs> and like doing my runs and the whole shit but uh but so I'm like working on my working on my suspension and I'm like there's this one sort of specific turn and the bumps just started getting super gnarly and I was like almost getting like pissed off at how rough this section was and I'm just like. God, just like hammered down on the throttle and I felt my bike work better than it's ever worked before and I just had like that light bulb moment and I was like oh this is actually so sick like I'm now I can literally feel what people have always said about like when your suspension's you know set up you, the harder you go the better it works so like just the, those like little discoveries dude I've been riding damn near my whole life you know and it's like to still be learning and figuring this stuff out. It's like that to me is like joy right there. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly that that's the fun I've been having uh, in the last few years. Like you just, every time I ride, I learn something, you know, like I'm still learning. I, I, you know, I was always a pretty technical rider as far as my form and all that. But I, I mean, I'm still learning, you know, being around, you know, guys like Chase and Jed and Hunter and, and, you know, Chance, it's like, th- there's a, a level of technicality there that I, I still, I take, I'll see that. I'll see them do something at the track or at the race. I'm like, dude, I got to try that. <laughs> and then to see yourself progress. Um, and then the same thing with the parts, you know, it's like, it's, it's an ever evolving thing that you're trying to figure out. And, um, it's so fun, man. It's so cool to, to try to put all that together. And then when the, the time, they're, they're very few, you know, but that time where you're like, when you really nail that rough section, you're like, yeah, that was sick. That's, yeah. that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, dude. So that's a, a good point when you talk about the, like the technicality with some of these guys. I mean, that's something that I've just been like hammering for the last couple of years. I really think we're like entering a new kind of era in the sport. Like, as a dude that's on the ground riding the same bikes, like being around those guys, like what do you see in them technically? And you can go as deep and as detailed as you want here, but what are you kind of like seeing in those guys that just wasn't really a thing when you were at your peak? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is their feet. Like yeah. they're so good with their feet. You know, my, my like we came off the heels of RC feet everywhere sitting through the bumps like just carrying mad speed and hammering you know so that's that's the stuff that we kind of like saw and we're like yeah that's sick you know <laughs> that's what's up uh, yeah yeah i'm gonna do that see if i can hit this turn without letting off you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> how far can you charge in you know i'll charge in harder whatever um but to see like the, their feet are so good all the time and it, and that kind of like translate to where their where their knees are and where their hips are they're using the lower half of their body so much better and more efficient than than we were and then that lends to being able to set the bike up differently you know when you're kind of loose with your feet and and really light on the pegs you don't really load the bike well you kind of have to have a softer setup um because you don't have anything kind of like pushing the bike to the ground all the time yeah yeah so i would say the rear of the bikes has has gotten stiffer uh in the last five ten years uh you know from kind of the beginning of my time in the sport to the end it was kind of like you saw more 
kind of choppered out bikes, stiff forks, uh, soft, slow shocks where, where now it's kind of like you see a little stiffer more fast rebound, yeah, 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 stiff, yeah, stiffer, yeah, faster. Yeah. The forks yeah. are getting more compliant. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with the way that they're able to weight the rear of the bike, um, and keep it connected to the ground. And they're not so reliant on the, the, the top of their bodies, you know, um, so they can keep it glued down. And then, and then also, um, when you do that, you can have a softer fork cause you're not relying so heavily on smashing into things and, you know, just doing more mile an hour into the turn. And instead it's like, I'm going to be methodical with my feet, methodical with the lines, methodical with the throttle. And it's going to be more about miles per hour than it is actually just smashing everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's so, so interesting. Uh, to hear you say that about like the shock setup and the the softer, faster kind of um, setup because I was watching Jet through the section after the second turn at Colorado and then you've got the big left-hand sweeper um, that's after that, that straightaway and he's standing up and like you can see there's like slow motion footage and you can see how fast that shock is is rebounding and like it is just glued to the ground and and yeah i remember thinking that the shock looked really really quick like even in slow motion it like visibly Mm -hmm. looked looked faster so it's very interesting to hear that yeah it's uh i think our bike in general it just leans towards that yeah it it leans towards that for sure but um but i i also think that it's it's kind of the trend uh, yeah. I think things are headed that way as far as, you know, dampening character and things like that, where, you know, me going through that section, you know, 10 years ago, you know, I, I don't think my, I, I would have been connected enough to the, to the, the pegs and to the bike. I probably would have just been bucked all around by it. You know, um, I would have wanted that thing slow and dead and, you know, stance was so big in that time we wanted that the, stand, the thing basically to never move and so you see it looks like a trophy truck you know yeah, it's like the yeah, wheel is yeah, just like yeah. you know and i i thought it looked really cool through there like it was glued to the ground and he was going so fast so um it, it's definitely i think ken uh brought some of that to our team yep and um i had to learn it for sure it, but yeah. I one, once I did learn it, I saw the benefits of it, um, especially turning. Um, you know, and you get that chatter, how well it actually follows the ground and gets through there. Um, yeah. There's some major major benefits to it. And then, is there anything different? I guess in the sag characteristics, then that you um, that you will play off that kind of setup. Yeah, it's. I think for for a bike, it's about a range. Um, you know, when I was uh, racing and kind of in that era, there it was like every bike kind of wanted to be 105 to yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I've kind of thrown all that out the window now. It's like it's just a number. So if that number ends up being 98, or that number ends up being 112, like it's just a number and then you, and then you build your range from there. Yeah. Um, I, I, I see some mistakes with that sometimes. Some people are like, no, the bike has to be one Oh five. That's, that's what, you know, whatever. 
when me it, it, now it's kind of like the, the bike our bike works in a in a range and it's kind of like 100 to to 105 um yeah. we get outside of that it kind of gets a little bit tough you know 98 to i'd say we're 98 to 102 105 that's kind of like our our range you know and and each guy can kind of vary from there um but i, I think for sure that it's trended higher yeah in in sag numbers you know um well, i guess lower in sag numbers but the the actual height of the bike i think is is gone up a little bit yeah 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 and i think uh it was really interesting this weekend in particular to watch the difference between jet's bike and ferrandis's bike like yeah. dude they had that yamaha sagged out <laughs> like he looked like he was riding a, a legit chopper with the bars that he runs too <laughs> yeah. so yeah i think uh yeah, it was very, very interesting to see like the direction because they're obviously like that team. They're obviously just like kind of chasing something around. And even uh, before the national started this year, I was watching the MXGP boys at Argentina. I don't know if you you follow the GP yeah, stuff yep. much, but man, those Yamahas look twitchy at that first MXGP. And I was yeah. like, I was like, huh, shorter like more compact setup this thing's killing it in supercross like how's it gonna go outdoors and then you see that those boys were really struggling with it in the gps and then if you look at what they've had to do on ferranis's bike to obviously like compensate it's uh yeah it's crazy to see the difference yeah and again going kind of going back to the range of of those numbers certain bikes you just have to kind of deal with it you know like uh we you know chase really struggled uh the first couple of years because our our bike it likes to be tall in the rear and if you kind of go against that it starts to do things that um that that aren't great you know yeah um and chase was really fighting that he really wanted the rear of the bike low um is that is that because of like so for me when i ride a honda 450 that i feel like very very cautious of the front end like it feels very tucky like compared to a ktm i feel like i probably lean on the ktm way too much like and trust the mm-hmm. front a lot um i had a period of crashes a couple of years ago where i was just constantly tucking the front because i was like really leaning on it so in my mind with like chase wanting it a little bit lower is he trying to get away from like that kind of like nervous like front end sort of feeling for sure chase and stability um you know that that's uh and then the natural you know when you go into a set of whoops in the rear's eye you kind of go like oh man i don't know how this is gonna work <laughs> yeah but but it's what our bike likes and so uh you know we we we've had to find other ways to find the stability um with keeping the rear in a in a range that it works yeah in. yeah um so I, I it's tough with a first year model you know with the yamaha i know that's that's the difficult task is trying to figure out what it likes and i'm sure they're trying to they're trying to go way low swing arm (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and i wouldn't be surprised if you're trying old stuff you know you you really search in those those times but they'll get it figured out you know i think that's pretty typical for the first year of a big change like this is is you got to spend a a year getting to know what it what it wants yeah no definitely so what is the best factory honda 450 ever that you've ridden oh man 
I, I really liked my 2014 yeah. uh, bike when we went to KYB. Mm. Uh, we went from the SFF Showa, which, you know, wasn't a popular fork. It was... I didn't like that really, fork. <laughs> I, I don't... I don't know anybody that, that really did love it. Um, we put that KYB setup on and it was a, the PSF one fork and it, it built air, air pressure. Like, you know, you'd go up a bar, two bars in a moto, oh, yeah. which, was, which was tough. You know, that's a couple spring rate. Um, but man, when it was working, like, dude, I, I loved the way that bike worked. Um, I also, you know, one of my favorite bikes, and I'm kind of bummed because it didn't really get to show, was Cole Seeley's bike in uh, 2019 for outdoors. Uh, that, that thing actually worked worked really well. Um, but I, I like, honestly, I like uh, a lot of our current stuff. The last last two years, um, there's certain things I, I really love about the BFRC that Chase has been running. There's oh, things I don't that like about shock, it. Oh, that's that huh? Yeah, yeah. There's certain things I don't like about it, but there's certain things that just really complements our bike. You know, like like that it likes to ride high, um, and it kind of, you know, helps fix that a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, I I think the last couple of years I've been really excited about just the whole progression of our team. Like the bikes are getting really fun to ride. Yeah, um, and and so with the way that jet has been like dominating the 450 class like did, did you have any indication that this this was coming like did you have any kind of feeling that uh, you know we might see this or is this a surprise to you as some of uh, i guess like most people i knew it was going to be good um just the way that he rides the bike you know even he rode his 250 was um it's kind of like the ideal wait around a 450 and, and I think he's probably taken notes from a lot of different guys and 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 those guys are great you know the Lawrences are great at kind of going like oh, I like that I'm going to try to implement that um you know or I don't like this so I'm not going to do that and so I think they've probably implemented a lot of things but whenever I watched him last year the way that he is with the the power uh you know his technique I really feel like it was probably going to go good but I, did, yeah. I didn't know until Motocross of Nations, probably that that first moto, or this was it the second moto, whatever one he 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 rode good. I, I was kind of like, okay, <laughs> yeah, it's it it's translating, you know, it's it's really it's it's going to happen for him. So um, I just think there's a lot of great combos there that that um, he's pretty advanced in his his approach on the bike, you know. Um, the way that he is methodical about things is, is a little bit ahead of his time as far as his age in this class. So I guess to answer your question, I was unsure, but once I saw it motocross of nations, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll be just fine. Yeah. And you think like, so let's say he goes till he's 29. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he'll have, he'll have challenges. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, Tomac being gone is, is, uh, you know, doesn't help. Uh, I, I think it's probably, I think he's probably making it look easier than it, than it, than it is. You know, he's, he's still, he's still pushing, you know, even though he makes it look so good. So, and, and then Chase too, you know, Chase, I don't think was at his best at Paula and, you know, 
still was fighting. So I think there's a handful of guys that, that will challenge him. But, man, if he continues in this progression of the way that, you know, he works with, with Dazzy and Hunter and, and the way that they're – the thing that I admire the most about them is their process. Like a lot of guys will get frustrated. Uh, say you miss one or two tries testing – you know, they'll get really frustrated and, and go like, oh, you know, let's just go back to what we, yeah what worked. You know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, this is, I don't want to keep going. You know, we, we, we aren't finding anything where what Dazzy's done with these guys is she goes, no, you know, this is what works about this. And yeah, there's those kinks there, but we'll work them out. But it's a process, you know, and if we, we follow the process, the bike, the thing that we're trying to fix is going to get there. And I, I see that their approach kind of like the whole everything as a whole. They're they're working towards, you know, two to five years out. You know, it's yeah. not just about this weekend. And I, I think I probably missed that in, in my racing. A lot of guys do because you're, you're so in the moment and you want to you want to get it right now. And, and they certainly have urgency, but I think where they're getting it right is and, and I think Johnny O has probably helped them have that mindset but they're 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 working they're working on getting the momentum going Mm. and i and i think they'll continue to keep the momentum going because they're not getting too carried away with the highs and lows of it all yeah yeah and and i think uh, i said this a, a while ago that i think it was yeah it was a while ago now but i said i think that everyone's probably like a few years behind like i think you know like when you try and change something technique wise as a, as a rider, like at any level, I mean, there's like an adjustment period. There's an uncomfortability. It's kind of like exactly what you said about riding. Uh, sorry, the testing. It's like, Oh, I got to get on the balls of my feet. Well, now I can't really use my rear brake that well. So like, fuck it. I'm just going to go back yeah, to how, yeah. I, how I used to do it. And I'll like make it up somewhere else. I, I think that like they took the hit, like pretty early on you know to like real like do they just stayed so committed to this idea of like no technically we need to be perfect and i i I believe you'll probably see chance hymas have like a pretty steep curve because like he's committed in the same way and i think like that second moto at high point was pretty cool where it's like he's out front hunter's coming like you're gonna get past but he just didn't break form he didn't change yeah. the way he wrote he didn't get loose and it's like to have that commitment to your it's like a game plan you know like you've staying committed to a certain game plan and i think that that's probably like they've kind of caught the field with their pants down in a sense is that like if you're gonna want to make these changes like you're gonna really like you you're behind the eight ball now and you know like i even think like with Hayden, I mean, I've been pretty stoked on the whole Hayden Deegan thing for for a really long time. And even in my head now, I'm like, dude, you're doing good. But like, you need to get on that kind of like Lawrence swag a little bit of like really just being addicted to the process and like really believing in, you know, like making gains in certain areas for the long term, because, you know, it's that I think that's like the new wave now. Yeah, I I mean, I text, I didn't go to high point, but I, I text chance right after I just said, Hey, there's more to come, you know, yeah. Be- because I think what he's, what's coming for him is, you know, he's, he's adapting a lot of what he's around every day and 
And I think if you can stay focused without getting discouraged or derailing, like he's going to be there. Um, and I think where, where I missed it a lot was, you know, I rode with my heart a lot and yeah. not with my head, you know, which worked great for me sometimes, you know, I, I would come out swinging and, and, you know, make crazy moves, you know, and, and, and it was great, you know, and it was exciting, but, but I wasn't able to see three, four years down the road. I was just able to see next weekend. And so I wish I could have had some of that, you know, in me because I think one of the reasons like Dungy was so successful was he didn't have these crazy peaks and lows in his career and he was able to build over three, four or five years into the champion he became where, you know, I was like this, you know, there, there was these crazy highs and crazy lows and, and that gets draining emotionally and and mentally. Mm. Um, so if you can, I think if you can keep your eyes on, you know, three years from now and think, Hey, I'm going to have some losses. I'm going to have some wins, but if I can see those losses as lessons and, you know, not take them so personally and use them as a teaching moment, man, I think you're so much better off. And I think that's part of what they've done really well. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And like, yeah, just to stay like for us this year, we've had so many like different things we're working towards. And it's like, I'm doing the Dubai thing and I've been like waiting on this U S visa. Like I actually just got it approved yesterday, which is crazy. Um, but it's like, there was all these things that I'm like, that that almost was like the linchpin of like this entire plan and it's like there's been so many times this year where i've just been like fully over it <laughs> like down <laughs> like all right i'm done all i'm like all these bold plans it's like too much i'm over it uh but you know it's like if you can just stay to that long you know not in racing but just life it's like have a game plan like see where you want like you are going to be somewhere in three years like you might as well be where you kind of want to be like what are the things you can do every day to get there yeah and then be flexible enough to to make adjustments you know and i think that's such a great life lesson you know like when it's four o'clock and those guys are smoked and they don't want to really do anymore. And Dazzy's going, no, just go do a couple more laps and just give us some feedback, you know? Yeah. Like you almost need that philosophy in life. Like, oh, I'm just worked right now and I, I'm so over this. Like this is the, the worst, you know, if you could just go like, man, I just need two more laps to get some little more info so that I can do the next thing. Um, man, I think it's, it's really valuable. Oh, for sure. But I mean, you know you said it before like right at the start with the j-law thing it's like he come from this place he had these things happen he came from this household and then this is what what you get and i mean in, in your case like dude you had one of the, probably the gnarliest upbringings you know like it, it experiences to like get to professional racing of like maybe anybody yeah i mean i think uh it was a double-edged sword you know there there was um on a personal level, like so much loss and so much, uh, like a void, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think out of that came a lot of, uh, focus, like determination. I I had to take that energy and put it somewhere, 
Yeah. Or, or it was going to go really sideways, you know, and the way that I kind of processed was here's this thing that I do. I'm just going to do it with all I have. And so I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, losing my dad was, um, probably one of the things that drove me into becoming a disciplined athlete, uh, into being focused and getting through hard things. Um, but it was also one of the things that really made it difficult for me to, um, and I, I think a lot of the passion, you know, I talked about riding with a lot of heart and I think I learned that from, you know, losing my father. It was like, you realize how serious life is, you know, and, mm. and that's something that I don't think a, you know, 12 year old kid really needs to learn. Um, because you kind of lose that. You lose that, your innocence in a sense. Yeah. You lose that whimsy of life. You know, when you're yeah. 12, it's like, Hey, you know, life is cool. And you know, I'm going to be a s- astronaut when I grow up, <laughs> you know, when you, when you, when you see that, when you experience what I experienced, life gets really serious and you realize, Hey, in any moment I c- I am not invincible. And so you, you really have to take that and do something with it, you know? And, and for a lot of people, unfortunately that turns into really bad habits and, um, it doesn't end well. But for me, I'm grateful that I had racing and I'm not saying it was healthy for me to, to dive into my craft like I did, but I, I do think that it got me through the really hard times of that loss and probably propelled me into the kind of athlete that I was. Mm. Um, I wish I would have processed it better as a kid because I think it really hit me later in life as far as the loss is concerned. Um, but if I can take anything positive from it, like I, I learned something about discipline and about being responsible. You know, I, there's a level of responsibility when, when dad's gone that you have to just assume Mm. whether Mm -hmm. you are cognitive of it or if it's just, you know, it's kind of your subconscious. It's just there, right? It's, it's just there, you know? And, and so I, I think there's some, some things that added value to my life from that traumatic experience, but there, I think it's probably equaled out by the, the loss of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I could imagine that you woke up the day after your dad passed away as an adult, like a 12 year old adult. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, and I think that for me, that's probably the biggest loss, you know, is, is, um, you know, losing, losing my dad is, t- is tough, you know? And, and as far as my faith is concerned, that gives me a lot of hope, but, um, that's the biggest loss for me, I think, is is it, you're, you're 100% right. I, I woke up that day and there was a level of weight that you feel, uh. whether, that, whether it's self-imposed weight or actual weight, that is really heavy, you know? And I, I think that's, uh, that's hard. And, and, and that, you know, I never wanted my story to be like, I don't want to talk about it a ton because in just in general in life, because I never want it to be like this thing, you know, look at me, I lost my dad, that, yeah. that kind of thing. But, but also it's such a big part of my formation that I almost can't not talk about it, 
because it, it, it had such a huge impact on me uh, and the direction of the rest of my life. Yeah, but I, I also think that being the person that you are and achieving the things that you achieved in your life, like in spite of those things, I mean, it, there's a level of, like, I feel like inspiration gets thrown around so much these days, you know, like, and it's, it's such like a weird ephemeral thing. But I mean, if you, if you want to label anything as inspirational, it's like your story is inspirational you know and I know you were never like the guy that was the woe is me poor me like I can't believe I made it here with everything that happened but it's like you know and and even like one thing I always really respected about you like I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that I have like a, a faith in the way that that you do like it's probably it's it's different but I looked at you throughout my like even before I'd ever met you on you but I looked at you as like an, a person of like okay that's what that's like real like that's what real faith is that's a person like because anyone can say they believe in God anyone can say that they live that way but it's like it's it's almost free to be a Christian you know what I mean mm, like you yeah, just, just yeah. it's it's eat like it's eat, and that was yeah. probably part of my like aversion towards it is it's just yeah. so easy to say yeah. I'm this, this guy and I'm saved but then you see a person like you that has every reason to to not believe and to lose faith and to you know to spend your life going against that because of what happened to you and I think that you know you had so many things happen in your career that would test a person's faith and to be the person that you are in spite of that, I just, I, I think that you're a really great example for what you believe in, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, that's kind of like the biggest compliment I could get, you know, because, you know, not, not to dive too much into it, but no, you know, hey, there, go, go, go where you want to go. Yeah, no, there, there's a passage that says, you'll know them by your fruit. And, you know, like, how do you know a fig tree is a fig tree? You know, the yeah, kind, yeah. Of, the kind yeah. of fruit that it produces, right? Like yeah. an apple tree is going to make an apple and you, you know, when the tree is no good, right? Like you see a, a, a fruit or a product that is uh, damaged. It's, it's not, it's not desirable, you know? So there's a lot of, I would say there's a lot of bad fruit out there. You know, yep. there, there's a lot of people that, that, uh, would say that they are Christians or they have some sort of faith. And, and if you look at their fruit, it's not matching up with what it should. And so, uh, one of my big goals in life is, is for, for people to see my life and go, okay, that's what it is. You know, yeah. what, what he says and what he's talking about is it's a real, I, I can, I know it because of the fruit that he's producing, right? Like it's, it's a real thing. And so I appreciate that because that, that is, that is my goal because I know that so many, so many people's faith has been averted for that very reason. Like they've had oh, a bad man. experience with, you know, I, I did this like, uh, I'm, I'm USMCA certified. Right. And, um, there's this whole bit of, uh, of sexual misconduct that you have to, there's a course you have to take. And, Part of that course is, you know, how do you identify someone that is, is a sexual abuser? 
and it's it basically the whole point of it is you can't tell by the pe- way people look like you can't look at a person and go that is a sexual offender and you know something that struck me in that is it had real examples of of sexual abusers mm. you know real pictures of real people and a good majority of those people were volunteers uh ministers and uh dude that just makes me so sad uh to see that because that isn't the kind of fruit, you know, if we're talking about fruit still, that that's just bad fruit, you know, that's not yeah. the real deal. And, uh, you know, that's left a really bad taste in people's lives because they've, they've taken something that is counterfeit and said, this is what it is. And if you're not with it, get out of here when really that's, that's not the real deal. So I, I'm sensitive to it, you know, because I, I, um, it's a big deal to me and I, I never, want to give people that impression, you know, because Mm. our faith, whatever it is, is core to, I believe it's core to who we are. And so when people make decisions about what they believe or, or who they are spiritually, physically, emotionally, it's a big deal. And, and so when you try to manipulate that or force something or, Mm. or try to, give someone a counterfeit idea of what what something should be it's really damaging to people and it leaves them scarred in a way and so it's really like so important to me that that when people meet me when people interact with me that they go okay if if this faith thing is real maybe i don't even believe in it but at least i know that that guy is doing what he says, you know, and and I'm not saying I'm I'm perfect, man. I'm a, I'm ask my wife how big of a mess I am, but uh, but I, I I at least want them to see and go, okay, yeah, that he's doing his best to live to live that. Um, so yeah, I've I've probably stepped back, you know. I, I, there was a time in my career when I was really like posting a lot of scripture and you know a lot of a lot of this and that and and you know one of my favorite quotes is is by a spiritual leader and he he says uh you know preach preach the good news at all times and only when necessary use words yeah 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 uh, yeah yeah. and, and i love that because you know you should be able to see that see who i am by the way that i live not by what i say and uh and that that's that's just really important to me yeah, man, it, it's so true. I mean, so I guess like from my from my side, like I, I definitely uh, I'm I would say I'm like a fairly spiritual person in the sense of um, my, I guess like just mostly around ego. Like to me, mm-hmm. I think if you want to talk about like God versus the, the devil, it's like I think that the the ego is like that's where the devil is <laughs> so for yeah, me like yeah. i don't have anything past like what's going on in my head but i'm like ego is not good like yeah you need to you need to be hyper aware of of that and i mean for me like so meditation's like a big thing but it's funny like living in dubai and being around the muslim culture um and and seeing like i've got some friends that they're they're like legitimate Muslims. Like they mm-hmm. are praying five times a day. They're doing like literally everything that they that they are supposed to do. Like there's a very clear line of like this is haram, and you're around those people, and they are fantastic people. And 
and when I'm seeing like the meditation, uh, the 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 prayer that they're doing to me, I'm like, damn, that looks a lot like meditation to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's a it's a similar way. And I think that when you talk about like, if you don't talk about like the the belief in like any afterlife or anything external, I think that you know it's like it's a relationship between like yourself and a bigger thing than yourself you know I guess you could like blanket um everything under that term and for me like when I really had some like massive realizations and then I could see the way that it helped my life and I could see the way that I would get better at at things that I was not so good at and then I could see how much work I still had to go that made me want to really tell people <laughs> and like really, yeah. you know what I mean? I was like, trust me, like this really, it really helps. Like if you can just see it in this way. And then after a couple of years or three or four years, I'm just like, I feel like I need to walk through my life as good as I can. And hopefully that rubs off on people. And I, <laughs> I, I think that's like a, a, the natural transition in a sense, you know? Yeah, for sure. That, that's a great way to say it is as far as like, I, I think when, when, you know, you can beat people over the head with whatever, whatever it is you believe in, and it's, it's not really going to be effective, you know, until they experience, uh, what you're experiencing or they, they want to experience what you're experiencing. It's, it's really, I, I don't know, you can try to persuade people, but in, until they're, uh, open and they, they want to be a part of something and they, they see evidence of something and they go, okay, there's something to that you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to be the guy to be, you know, really pushing stuff down people's throats. So, um, but yeah, I, I think we, we all, in a sense, we have a longing for something more or, uh, an awareness of that. Like, like we're pretty small in this universe. Like when you look at the, the, the entire universe, like, wow, this is a, it's like a, this crazy thing that we're in, right? Like when you zoom out and go like, we're on the earth and it's like, a part of this massive galaxy it's all like really wild to think about and so it and I think it makes sense to make meaning of that you know yeah 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 no no I completely agree so with all that being said like have you been really tested from like a faith perspective when you went through some of these tragedies that you've had to go through in your life oh yeah yeah huge yeah I mean it's and I think that's probably what has, uh, you know, really refined my faith, you know, like I, I remember when I, you know, when I first kind of started racing, you know, I would say things on the podium and, and I would get a lot of heat from that. And then it would kind of like, I'm sure on your podcast, there's going to be this little battle about, you know, faith and God and all, you know, the, the zealous Christians are going to be in a battle with you know, the atheists and the atheists and it's going to be turned into this thing, you know? And I hated that because that, that, you know, I, I never really was like thanking God because I won, you know, it was, it was more about, Hey, this is, this is something that's big in my life. And, uh, and I'm going to share it in this moment because it's, you know, it's, this has been my, something I've worked for. And this is a great time that I want to, you know, tell people, Hey, this is, this is, this is my life. And that's part of that personality thing. Right. Um, but that was, that was really tested a lot. And, and, uh, especially I think 2011 to 2012 was probably the, the biggest test for me. Um, 
and it wasn't because exactly what I, what I went through, it was, uh, you know, people saw it as evidence of, uh, a reason not to believe in, in God. Yeah. You know, like, you know, yeah. I broke my femur in April, you know, we could go into a debate about if it was my fault or a, a part on the bike's fault, break it again in, um, I guess it would be the end of June. And then I break my collarbone in December and then I come back probably too quick and break my back in January. And so a lot of the heat that I was getting, was like, see, like, see, like, but I think people, it was a test for me because I, I've just felt really, um, attacked and I, I hate to say that, but I didn't understand why people felt they needed to mm. try to persuade me against my faith. Like I, I didn't understand why that was happening. Um, cause I, I guess it's cool if you, be, if you don't believe in something, but why yeah, yeah try yeah. to, why try yeah. to persuade me any differently? Yeah. But I think what people saw was, you know, oh yeah, God's supposed to bless him and give him wins and safety. When, if you study the Bible at all, that is like kind of the opposite of, of, of yeah, the Bible's pretty much like take your lickings, bro. Deal with it. (laughs) Exactly. And expect it. Like (laughs) you want to live in this world, like be ready to, to, uh, and I kind of saw like, Hey, I ride a motorcycle, you know, I'm choosing to throw my leg over a bike and I ride with passion. And, and so that, you know, I got to take a lot of that responsibility. And so I, I guess, that's probably a long winded way to say it, but I, I guess just the, the concoction of that, of, of people really coming out at, at it, it felt like an attack and that's probably yeah. like probably overly dramatic, but that's how it felt at the time. Um, and that was, that was hard for me. Um, and then to see the response from my faith community too, a lot of the people got really vicious with that type of person. Like I would see these debates in YouTube videos and, on racer X articles. And I'm just sitting there going like, dude, like this ain't it, this ain't it, you know, like, and that was, it was almost harder for me to see the people from my own faith community, like attacking other people. And it, and it, it was, people got defensive because some of the things were said were, were pretty, you know, offensive or whatever. But I was like, man, this is a perfect time to like turn the other cheek. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And, and what I saw was not that. So that was like almost just as discouraging to me. Uh, so that, that was probably the toughest time. Um, but then like, you know, I met my wife out of my back injury and that was, uh, you know, and I went on this trip to, to, to try to, uh, you know, be a blessing to people. And I, I met her on that trip and, um, for me, that's what it was about. You know, it, it was way more about that than it was God giving me anything. He's, he's already given me life. Like what, what else do I need? You know, and I, and a really neat life at that. So, so that was probably, I guess, super long winded way to ask. That was probably the, the biggest test in my faith. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I can, I can, I could see it. And, and yeah, I mean, that, I guess that that's the 
you know, that's the way I kind of always saw you, you know, like was just this guy, like if there was a guy that really lived it, you know, and, and I think that there's a, there's a few guys that I can, I could see where I'm like, I just respect that, you know, like I know enough about what you believe in to know that you are walking the walk, you know, when, when a lot of people are just kind of talking the talk. Yeah. Yeah. It, like uh, not to make the topic any longer but yeah it's kind of popular like western christianity it's like a it's like a cool thing to be um it's like it's like its own culture and i think that's probably not how it was supposed to be yeah and so to go back to i guess 12 and and your life kind of changing after what happened to your dad i mean what did life look like at that time and then you know how did the racing kind of evolve through that and like was it ever a thing where it's like you were not gonna keep racing or yeah I I remember so I lost lost my dad May of 03 and then you know still went and did Loretta's which was probably too soon you know but I remember you know it was just horrible for me like I I just like that whole there's a whole year in there that just like I think I was probably so numb that mm. I just like, I was just like kind of existing and going through the motions. Um, but Loretta's went bad and it, and it was kind of like, I really started to miss my dad through things like getting to the races, you know, all of a sudden you have a blowout on the side of the road and like, it's you and your mom and your brother and you're like, Oh man, you know, yeah. it, it'd, it'd be really great to have, you know, dad here like to kind of help walk you through changing a tire, you know? And so that, that year was so heavy. And I remember my mom coming to me at Loretta's and we kind of had a week where like things were going wrong with our RV. And it was like, Mm. it it was a nightmare, you know, it was just a nightmare week. And I just remember her saying like, Hey, do you want to be done? Like, cause my results were no good. And I was just like floundering around. And, um, I just remember going like, man, I, I just, it was the one thing in my life that I still like really enjoyed. Like I could hop on a bike and I could, I could disappear from, you know, my, the big feelings I was having and the, the weight that you were feeling the, the way. And, and just like one of the hardest things about losing a parent is the way people look at you. It's like mm. everywhere you go, there's like, an ultra sensitivity to you that is uh it almost like a reminder it's like a constant reminder exactly you're like oh man here comes here comes that kid that lost his dad like let's let's be real nice and and you know treat him so the i guess what i'm saying is the bike was the place that i went that all that disappeared all the noise stopped and i could just like i just got lost in it so i never wanted to stop but i i can understand why my mom was like maybe we should be done. Um, and I'm glad I kept going because in that next year, like being able to dive into riding that way, like really helped me. Um, I really got a lot better from like Oh four to Oh five to Oh six. Like those three years compounded in like a really big progression for me. I went from like a, you know, top five guy to a guy that was winning races and winning championships in the amateur scene. And, and, um, so for, in my mind, I never wanted to stop, but I can like in my family, it was, it was hard on my mom to, to be responsible for that, you know, on her own. 
Um, so I never wanted to stop. I can see why my family might have wanted to. Yeah. And so you said earlier that um, you didn't feel the loss until a bit later on. Like, when did it hit you? I remember it really hitting me when I was 18. Um, I, and, I, and I think, like, it for sure hit me from that time on. But, you know, there's there's processes in our minds that we can bury, bury things. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I really buried it. And I, I remember... You know, I had my property and it was, it was so hard to like figure out how to take care of all that. Even though I wasn't doing a lot of the work, it was in my mind a lot. And I just, I remember going like, man, I wish I had, you know, I would see guys like, like Dungy, his dad was there, RV, his dad was there. And I remember just thinking, man, I wish I had a dad right now to kind of like do this with me. Cause I just feel like I'm sinking here. Mm. And I was, you know, that was kind of in the back of my mind. I was doing a moto one day and I was just like, I just started screaming. It's not fair. And I'm like, what, what's not fair. <laughs> like I'm doing a moto here. Like just get, get back with it. And I just, I became hysterical. And, um, I just remember going home and going like, mom, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with me, but, um, and that was kind of the beginning of, of seeking kind of some mental help, mm. um, to, to process that. Um, and I still don't think I really like took a super deep dive until I was done racing. And I, and I, I definitely, um, it's a process. I mean, it's still a process to this day. Um, when you bury trauma like that, it, it rises to the surface at some point and it, it definitely rose to the surface for me. Um, that that day when I was 18 mm. yeah I was actually that was gonna be one of my next questions was like did you ever get therapy instead like actual therapy yeah and I did I kind of went the the first little bit was kind of like uh you know a lot of churches offer like a, f- a free counseling mm. and that kind of thing and and that was great it definitely helped help get me through you know a really hard time but I didn't really take a super deep dive until probably like 2016. Um, it was kind of like the end of my career and I was, I was having a hard time focusing. Like one of the things that I mentioned about riding whenever I was first, you know, dealing with loss was that I could go there and I could escape, you know? Yeah. And you were just like zoned in. Yeah. And 16, I was like riding and training and I was like somewhere else. And that got really scary for me because I started making some really like dumb decisions on the track. And so I went to a trauma therapist kind of out of desperation to like get my focus back. But kind of what I got out of it was, was I really started unpacking all of the, the, the difficulty and loss and trauma that I had experienced. Yeah. Yeah. No, man, I honestly, I can't imagine what that would be like to kind of have to deal with in the midst of all the pressure and all of the new things that you know you're kind of having to deal with as well and did it did it change at all or like did was there any extra stuff that kind of came out when you had kids as well like does that bring its own like set of challenges with it yeah I I think like the hardest thing for me is like I still think, man, what if, what if my dad was here? Like I, I miss that, you know, like, and it's the little things, you know, it's like, I I was, 
I, I'm still like working through this, you know? So like, I remember sitting on a, on the jet bridge a few weeks ago and just thinking like, man, it would be so cool if I could just call my dad and yeah. just hear some dad, hear some dad things, you know, like, man, you really need to slow down these days. You sure are traveling a lot, you know, just, just <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. Like, man, that would be so cool if I could Oklahoma I could misses that. you, boy. Yeah, come on back. You know, the, the front door's open, keys under yeah. the mat, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so I, 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 I miss that. Like, I think about my son, August, and I'm like, dude, I just, I've got this painting of my dad in my house, and I'm just like, hey, that's Papa Roy, you know? Like, I, I just it's a bummer to me that he'll never get to meet his, his grandpa, you know? Um, and just things like father's day, you know, it's like a, mm. a weird dichotomous thing for me. Cause it's always been like, I hate father's day, you know, like I hate the reminder and the way people are, are around me on father's day. But here I am as a dad wanting to be a great dad. And, it, and so it's like a happy day, but it's like a sad day all at the same time. So, um, so yeah, but I, I think more than anything, I miss the presence of my dad, but I, that's my goal with my son is I mm. want to be, I want to be there, you know, and in a way it's like, because my dad wasn't there, I want to be there. Um, so I, I think that's kind of how it's translated into yeah. you know, being, be, being a father myself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I guess, sorry to like push into it, but I know it's just such like a big part of, of like your story. And, and like I said, I mean, I think that it's a huge, you know, it can be a huge source of inspiration for people, you know, like, like you said, just the, the fact that you're alive means that, that you're going to really have to deal with some shit. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that to see someone like yourself that has just been given a wave of, of things to have to work through and like the way that you can kind of carry yourself through it, the career that you built for yourself, the family that you built, you know, like I just, I think as, as much as it's, you know, obviously like it'd be hard to kind of talk about, but I think that there's so many people that can hear this and apply it to their own life or even just be grateful, you know, like just be grateful for the things that you do have because nothing is guaranteed in life yeah. and and when you can see somebody like yourself that you know can can walk through all of that with like the humility that that you have um you know i, I think it's a pretty special kind of story to tell you know yeah i, I appreciate that man it's yeah I, I like to say that uh people that have been through trauma or difficulty it's, it's a it's a big club you know yeah like, you kind of you kind of don't make it out of here unscathed you know um and so I never want my story to be like, I'm a part of this club that of people that have been through stuff because I really believe we've all been through something. Yeah. And so it's important to me to talk about, you know, my, I, I did a, uh, my Ted talk on going to therapy, you know, which was like kind of scary, you know, cause, uh, you know, people perceive that there's like a stigmatism around it. Um, but I, I wanted I wanted people to know like, Hey, it's a big club. Like we've, we've all been through something. And so, um, I just, I, I want to use what I've been through for some kind of good, you know, good in the world. Um, because I think we can all take the difficulty we've been through and, um, apply it and someone's going to catch it, you know, cause yeah. the reality is, is someone just lost their dad and someone just lost their dad again and someone just lost their dad again. And, um, you know, to, 
while we've been speaking, like more people have been yeah. passing away. And so for someone that has gone through that to, to look at my story and be able to relate, like, I think it's important that we all, whatever it is that we've gone through, we take that and we, we use it in that. And, and in a way that's actually been super therapeutic for me. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I could definitely see that. So we'll switch gears a, a little bit and uh, maybe we'll start talking about some of the more fun parts of, of your <laughs> career. <laughs> so one of the uh, one of the epic races uh, that I think is like a pretty dope Trey Canard moment was the Millville battle with old Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I hear more. There's two things that pop up on my Instagram feed all the time and one of them is the the goon riding video from yep. like early on and the other one is the battle with Stu. Yeah. um and dude i i can honestly say that was one of the funnest races i ever raced like i finished that first moto where we battled hard the, the second moto we battled but the first moto it was like it was on it was on you know like we touched wheels in the air like it was we were like all over the place trying to win that race and I remember getting second and just like, dude, I was still smiling because yeah. I was like, one, I just raced James Stewart. Like, like 10 year old me is like high fiving me. Like, Freaking good out. job, dude. Yeah. yeah. Like that's James Stewart. Uh, but, but two, like I, w- I was still trying to battle for my first win and, and, uh, it was just fun, man. It was like, it was fun. Yeah, that that is like if you want to show somebody motocross, like that's one of the motos where where you'd show them, and it's like so deep into the race, and you guys are just still sending it, you know. And I think uh, uh, as I watch it back now, like I watched it last night actually, and um, as I like watch it back more and more, I think you can really see like you push James hard. Like I think he was pretty tired <laughs> by the end of that moto. <laughs> Yeah, he he was he was doing kind of everything, uh, and it was one of those days. I was just feeling spunky, man. There, I don't know why. There's some days you just wake up and you're like, I'm ready, yeah. and that was one of them. And uh, dude, I I just I was pulling everything I had, um, and he he was just crafty, man. But uh, the the funniest part about that whole day is I thought I won the overall. And so in, in my head, you know, we went one, two, the first moto, the second moto, uh, Dungey won. So in my head, Dungey got like seventh, the first moto. So all I got to do is in my head is all my, all I have to do is beat Stu. And so I came across the finish line, like the class, I think I might've rolled the finish line, like both hands in the air. <laughs> like, what an idiot. You know, I, I go to the tent and I'm just like ecstatic, you know, and the team walks over to me and they're just like flat. flat. <laughs> and I'm like, what is wrong with you guys? I just won my first overall. And they're, they're like, no, you got second. You're, you're such an idiot. <laughs> oh, dude, that's so good. And to do it at, at Millville, I think like that's such a, like that's a real motocross track there. Like that place is no joke. I was even looking like when I was watching last night. I mean, this the the main downhill. Like it was even super lipped up, and you were like jump it. Like just the momentum you would have had coming down that hill, and how rough it was. The dirt was just mint. Like it just looked like you boys were able to just absolutely send it. Yeah, it, it was cool. I, I you know I I think like 
the track was not so deep that day that it was like slot mm. cars. You see yeah. a lot of slot car racing now. And I, I think it's, I understand it trying to slow guys down and trying to, you know, make it rough, but it was so fun to be able to move around like in it. And I think it made the racing like so exciting. Cause you could, you could start wide and go in. And like, if you watch the, the race, it's like, we are like, Oh, everywhere. This, the whole race. And, um, it was fun. I, I loved it. Is that one of those days where you just don't feel like there's a limit? Like you can just yeah, yeah. It's all it. It comes easy. Like I know people. I've never had the experience of like time slowing down. I know that some people when they enter that flow state, they they say like you know baseball players players say they can like see the stitching the tread on the ball. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I never really had that moment. I've had I've had that moment though where it all feels easy. Like, um like uh the the only national that i won both motos was uh, on the 450 was uh, utah in 2014 and I, I remember thinking like dude something's wrong with these other guys like they aren't even trying because it, it just seemed like i was just like cruising you know it just yeah. seemed easy that day so that was pro- that's my been in my experience with like flow state or if, if whatever you want to call it is it just like it seemed like a just a regular all day where i was just out for a joyride, you know? And then there's yeah. been days where it's like, you feel like you can't do anything right. You know, it's like, uh, so I, I appreciate it. There's, I only had it like that feeling like probably five or six times, but it was, it was a really cool feeling. Man. It's so funny. I mean, it's, it's one of the things I'm like all borderline obsessed with, I guess, is that feeling. And like, I link it back quite a bit to, you know, meditation and I guess what you're sort of trying to get in that, that state and i think uh i think there's a book in there at some point i'll probably try and write to like articulate it but you know you, you hear so many people that are like i'm like oh you you, you know do you do any meditation like nah i go surfing every morning or i go running or, <laughs> i'm like oh yeah, yeah like you that's it's like the same thing like you can have that yeah. but you just don't need a surfboard you don't you know and yeah. uh but it's it's crazy when you can get like that's i think that's what people really get addicted to is like it's it's just chasing that feeling where it's like everything is crazy easy you're yeah. it's like you're doing but not thinking like you kind of reference that at the very start of the the podcast as well you know it's like you once you start thinking it's it's all over but i think mm-hmm. for the average guy it's like all they're doing is thinking <laughs> when they're writing you know but it's like that's the state that we're all trying to get to and it's like if you can if you can get to that state for five minutes on a ride on Saturday with the boys or, you know, like then you, yeah. it just makes your whole week and you, it like, you realize that you don't have all the problems always that you always think you do. And then it like gives you that new energy. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, this week I can get through this week. I'm yeah. Life is good. Again on, yeah. yeah. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll be back on the bike on Saturday. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I do some meditation just, uh, like, as a, as a good discipline, you know, like that feeling, there's a feeling, I think if you've probably been meditating for a while, like where you feel your breath and it's like, you can like watch it and you're like, whoa, (laughs) I'm seeing what's happening right now. And and I think that's probably a good, good comparison to that flow state. It's like, it's like, you know, I'm scrubbing a jump and I'm like, almost like, wow, like (laughs) that was so easy. And you're just like (laughs) watching you're watching it happen and and uh 
it's really hard to replicate that, especially amongst the pressure of it all. Because, you know, med- meditation is like helpful for me, uh, like finding that that mindfulness. Um, you know, part of my traumatic response is to uh, disassociate, which, um, you know, you you kind of like there, but you're not. You're kind of like yeah. over here. Um, that's kind of how I dealt with things a lot. Um, and meditation was has, was a great tool for me to kind of like pull back into the present moment. Yeah, feel um, what you're, you're, you're feeling. Yeah, and, and exactly. That's that's exactly what riding is. That's exactly what surfing is. It's like that that same moment where like everything's in perfect kind of unison. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that it it makes sense from like a. And I mean, I've thought about this from like so many angles, but I mean, it makes sense from like a, we're just a biological machine, right? Yeah. And so like you have this biological machine, like when you're meditating or when you like go to meditate and you sit down, like the thing people say like, oh, I can't meditate. It's like, you go sit down. It's like, okay, this will be a lot harder for you when there's zero consequences. There's zero other inputs. There's nothing else to distract you. Like this is literally the hardest time for you to feel that thing but when you go on a mountain bike like uh, a motorbike or a mountain bike i remember once i was mountain biking at this track called slippery's in where i grew up and it's just like death <laughs> like the entire track <laughs> is death and it's like it's in this rainforest and it's got moss all over the roots and it's wet 95 percent of the year and it's crazy steep and there's barely any dirt on this thing and it's it's so gnarly and that's one of the most like vivid flow state kind of pl- yeah. like experiences I've ever had because it's like you're so close to being in massive, massive trouble. And it's like yeah. your brain, like you don't have to go there because like your brain's going, okay, we don't have time to think about anything else. Like we're, the consequences are too gnarly for there to be any distraction, any external thought. Like you're so in the moment purely based on like biology like this machine needs to stay alive and i think that's why we go to those extreme places to get it because it's like you get it by proxy you don't even know what you're getting like it's just there through this thing and then that's what you associate it with you know and uh and i think that that's like the real kind of learning is that you can have it everywhere in every moment of every day you can have that feeling that you're chasing on a bike or on a surfboard or a mountain bike or or whatever it is but it's like you just need to understand the reason you're getting it in those other places and why it's not there but it's like it actually is still there though right right yeah that's it's more of a chemical response right like fight flight or freeze yeah where yeah i you know, a lot of people from my faith like are totally against meditation, but it's been such a good therapeutic tool for me um, to get back in in line. You know, like I, I guess the best way to explain it is I I would be here, and I need to get back. Kind of uh, trauma talk would be like in my body, right? Because you can yeah. kind of like a trauma response could be like you actually leave uh, in some way emotionally. Yeah. Um, but it, it, but it's a great tool, and and I think you know we spend so much time detraining that that you have to have some type of tool to to train it. You know, like you, how much time do you spend, you know, like doing this, yeah. and that's just that's working this this physiological response of okay, this is where I zone out, yeah, and you're just making that muscle stronger and stronger and stronger. So I think it's an amazing tool to to actually 
practice what you're saying because if you don't if you don't work that that part of your brain and make that a skill like how how easy is it to just like be elsewhere yeah and then and then like there's I think like the practical application of it I think people maybe struggle with a little bit as well as like okay what's the point but it's like if you realize that thoughts come and then they go like if you sit down for 10 minutes like if you just have one experience of like okay I'm thinking about the breath I'm thinking about the breath I'm 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 here and then you're like man why did my chick say that like that you know and then and then you get like you get on a train and it's like it's a train of thought and you're on that train and it's like if you if you don't have the awareness that that just happened to you then like how do you get off the train or how yeah. do you control the trains that you get on? Do those trains crash and burn? Do you have the ability to like know? You're like, I don't need to be thinking about this. I need, I need to be coming back to the breath. And it's like, or like, why did I even start thinking about this? And then you have that thought. And then once that thought goes, where does it go? Like gone, like literally yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah. And then you're like, wait, so thoughts don't exist? You know, so there's like this whole <laughs> kind of like process that you can go through. And it really has a practical application to your life, you know, but I just, I don't know that people, I think that people think it's way more like hokey pokey than what it actually yeah. is. It's just, a, yeah. it's very, very, very mechanical. And it's like, it can be broken down on levels. And it's like, if you spend enough time just like in that system, you almost like hijack your brain in a sense. Yeah. And where it was helpful for me is, is I was, I was not very emotionally intelligent if that makes sense um right there with your brother (laughs) i i I couldn't really tell you like am i happy am i sad am i you know am i anxious it was just kind of like like you say you kind of get on this train and like wherever it goes you kind of that's where your brain goes and um and and i think what was one of the reasons I, i had a hard time focusing is why i went to therapy but another reason was you know, I would be like lost in thought and upset and, you know, I would be withdrawn, like I said, in a disassociated state. And Hannah would be like, you know, what's going on? Like, yeah. how can I help you? And I would be like, I don't know. I'm fine. You know, I, <laughs> I'm I don't, good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And uh, so that that's probably the main reason that I, I went to, uh, you know, trying to understand what I'm feeling and then understanding that it's a feeling and that, you know, the thoughts aren't always true. The feelings aren't always true. And, you know, being able to, to ground back into the breath is, has been a helpful therapeutic tool for me. So I, th- I think there's a lot of value in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's funny too, you say that, like, uh, I think that's, uh, it's a really good ad- advertisement for getting a good woman <laughs> because <laughs> they can see, they can see shit that we just don't know. Oh, 100%. <laughs> She's like, Hey, I noticed you kind of like checked out earlier and, you know, like people were talking to you and you were just kind of going like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, I didn't do that. You know, like, were you in the same room? <laughs> it, and she's like, yeah, like I, I witnessed it. What's going on? You know, um, man, I'm, I'm just, I, it's, I know it's very difficult to find people in our lives like that. And I'm just, I'm so grateful to have found my wife. Like, man, we, it, she's just, made my life so much better uh and i just feel like we make each other better too which is which is really cool uh, so you met her on like a, a a trip you were saying yeah it's like a i mean you would call it like in a religious world like a mission trip yeah um, yeah 
Yep. So, uh, where where'd you guys go? I, uh, Tanzania, Africa. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. That, shoot, talk about a perspective change. Like, oh man, whoa, yeah. Um, I remember like we we were you know helping this community and uh, they wanted to make us dinner. And so this, this guy was like, Hey, you guys want something to drink? And we're like, yeah, you know, like whatever you got. And he's like, okay, you'll have Sprite or something, you know? And like his daughter like disappears and she's gone for like 45 minutes and she like reappears with Sprite, (laughs) but she, I mean, they didn't have like a fridge. So she just like walked like a mile and a half to like get it. And I'm just like, dude, (laughs) I did not mean that. I don't have problems. Like my problems are so small. Like big big perspective change yeah but i mean that that would have been a, a very transformative experience i'm sure yeah. like what yeah. what stage of your career were you in then so it was uh 2012 so when i broke my back that was um you know i i had i had five more years after that of racing um and, and i thought a lot about hanging it up after i broke my back uh that was yeah. really scary for me um Man, I was and there I that night, and I w- it was literally right in front of me because the industry really? se- the industry seating was uh, on that triple, basically like on the floor. That was the section yeah. that was cordoned off for it, and like, dude, it was thirty meters away. It was yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, dude, I so when I did my uh, TED talk, I showed the video, and and uh, so my brother, my older brother, he's in the kind of like the media industry he worked uh he worked for lucas oil for a long time doing like tv production and uh so i called him like hey can you get like the raw footage of that i'd really like to use it in this talk and he sent it to me and i like i never watched it outside of like a production right so it's just the raw footage and dude it was like a level of heavy for me that i didn't i like wow that was that was gnarly um, but yeah, so I, it, it was hard for me and it kind of stayed with me my whole career. Like just, the that, you know, being that close to, you know, as a spinal cord injury. So I, it was like, it really stayed, stayed heavy with me, but, um, you know, a lot of good came out of that, you know, you know, being able to go on that trip and ultimately that's where I met Hannah and, and, uh, I just feel like it was a great shift in my life, you know, yeah. that, that kind of set up the next next stage in my life yeah because you kind of i guess like everyone in life they have like those phases you know what i mean and and like for me might that there's like a massive turning point when i like i had my time in the u.s end and then i was just like i fully just all my thoughts and visions were like still going in that direction it was just like <laughs> rug just got pulled out and then it's like dude what am i gonna do and you know like but the podcast came out of that essentially, you know, and it's like, that's yeah. probably one of my proudest achievements or, you know, one of the things that is the most fulfilling and yeah, it's cool when you can have like a real visible positive come out of like such a negative situation. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, what I, I shouldn't keep talking about this Ted talk. People are going to be like, man, like this guy really proud of his Ted talk. <laughs> but uh you know one of the one of my lines is like we uh, you know uh it basically the the the, the statement is you know I, I am more because of what has happened to me not less you know like it, basically the whole point of the the message is like 
trauma does not have to define you. These, these setbacks in our lives, they don't have to define us. They can actually create something beautiful in our lives. And, and that's really been the case for me. Like I've had these crazy things that have happened and out of all of it, like there are these like amazing things happen. And, um, I'm just really grateful for that. And I, I think that that's a, it's, it's been a great lesson for me because it's easy to get lost in the things that didn't happen or, or the things yeah. that did happen. Um, yeah. So, so when you, when you talked a lot about like you at that young age and you went through what you went through and you were like, that's what gave me discipline. That's what gave me these traits that kind of you carried through your career and life. Like, where did you end up looking to to learn those things? Because I think that's something like, you know, I look at like a Hayden Deegan and then you've got Brian, you know, like I think I think that's one of the more like incredible things when people talk about Hayden and Brian, that whole thing. I think it's actually so incredible that he is a kid that had a dad that literally told his kid he could do this crazy yeah. shit, you know? So like... And, he, and then I, he did it. And then he did, but then he probably yeah. didn't have any, like, what's the counterfactual, you know, like yeah. you've never yeah. not done a thing that you said you would do. And there's the level of like, there's so much power in that, but then you didn't have that, you know, like you had mm. the opposite, but you still had the drive. You still had the work, like you ended up in the same place. So it's like, where did you learn those traits? Yeah. I think, um, you know, uh, again, I, I hate like go back to the this, TED talk tell <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I'm done talking about the TED talk um but um you know part of that whole of of losing my father you start to try to look right you like look around um and I think that's part of our development right as you look at your parents and you see what they do and you kind of adapt their philosophy and you kind of figure out like hey do I like that do I not like that I don't like that but I like that and you kind of take it and you you bring it into your own own way of living. And um, so for me, like I was always looking to other male role models in my life and then doing the same thing, just, just with different people. So there's, there's a handful of people in my life that I look to and I'm like, yeah, that person for sure helped me with this. And that person did this for me. And, and um, you know, there's, there's a couple hands full of, 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 of good men that, that really, uh, I could look to. And even though I didn't have my dad to kind of help me form, you know, who I am, I had these other guys kind of stepping up and, um, whether it was just, you know, friends or, or people I admired or, um, you know, heroes, it, there's just a whole hodgepodge of people that I, I like looked at and would go like, I want to be like that or I want to adapt that yeah but I think it's very uh like uncommon for a kid to kind of figure that stuff out on their own though you know like I think a lot of people yeah I just I just I, I remember what I was like as a kid and I just <laughs> did, I just didn't have any of that level of you know thought around those type of things or all and I guess it's one thing to think about discipline and to think about you know, the things that you see, but then to actually put it into practice, I think is a really rare thing. Yeah. I think it kind of goes back to what you're saying about that super tricky mountain bike 
trail, you know? Yeah. It's like kind of when your back's in the corner and you have to, like, you get it done in some way. And I for sure had a lot of help to do that. But, um, it, you know, back to what I said about life being very serious, like, I, I kind of quit doing like normal 12 year old things and then w- went straight ad- adult. And, um, you know, I think, uh, that, I think that's how I was able to adapt all that. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So did you just, I guess, have to pick up some of the slack then, like some of the stuff that your dad did, you had to start doing and you like had a little brother to look after. Like, is that just where it came? Like you just had these new roles that you had to fill instantly without a choice. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think as like a family unit, you take that on anyway. You know, I, I had a younger younger brother who's 10 years younger than me. And so, you know, I can, when I could drive, like I was taking him to school, picking him up. Yeah. And, you know, you're like, you're mowing the grass. You're, you know, like all this stuff, like you're changing flats on the side of the road. And it's not that you wouldn't do that with your, you know, your dad there, but it's, it, the, the weight solely lands on you and, and your, your brother, you know, your brothers. And, um, and that's just different because, uh, you know, when you have that person there, like there's like a, a there's a safety net, I guess, you know, there's like, yeah, there's a, a sense of, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be okay. We'll be all right. We're when you kind of force into that role, you kind of go like, I got to do this. Like, yeah, it kind of depends on me and, um, and and whether you're like cognizant of that or you're, it's kind of subconscious. That's maybe two different things, but it's still there whether you're thinking about it or not. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And I bet that there's probably like Oklahoma itself probably has, not something to do with it but i mean i'm sure that that the fact that you were from oklahoma that there was some other dudes around you know like uh, i think about like colt i think about bogle i think about um you know like jimmy albertson like that whole crew like you probably got lucky in the sense that you were from like a country you know like it was yeah. a country vibe and you like you had some of those dudes around as well like i, I feel like that probably was a bit of a blessing in a sense Oh, uh, it was huge. You know, like I, 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 uh, I, I don't think we can do much. I, I really, you can't do anything by yourself in this world. I mean, when you really comes down to it, like you're not going to do anything on your own. Like you're going to have some sort of reliance on somebody else. And, and so why not do it with the community, you know, and, and it's so much sweeter. And so I had, I mean, I, I think people probably don't understand the relationships that I had in that time whether it was with, you know, my mechanic, uh, who kind of went with me from basically the time my dad passed away till the kind of the end of, of my career or, Oh really? Yeah. Or, or, or Jimmy, you know, like Jimmy and I were just like tight, you know, for, yeah. for so long. And, uh, he, I said my life was serious, you know, from that point, but Jimmy was Jimmy and his brother, Greg were like the thing that like could just, <laughs> they were the comic relief. Yeah. yeah. It was like, <laughs> what kind of shenanigans are they up to now? And, and, um, so yeah, that, that's a great point. Like there, there's a, a lot of great relationships just being from that kind of small town environment. Um, it's kind of more family community based. Um, that was, that was definitely a huge part of making it through all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that Oklahoma just kind of like has that, that vibe about it too, you know, cause are you, are you still living out there pretty much? 
Yeah, I live there. Yeah, I, n- I never really left. Like, <laughs> I would, you know, <laughs> I would go to California or Florida for for like months, but uh, I always was based in Oklahoma. So, I guess if you get blown away by tornadoes enough, you can kind of become pretty resilient. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that that property that you so you you bought that property when you were like eighteen or whatever. In yeah, I was in, seven, 17, Yeah, yeah. And how big is that place? Because I remember, I remember being in australia and i don't even know that i'd like left or gone anywhere yet and like buying dvds and watching you rip a geico honda like some of the god i think west williams did something pretty dope out there yeah epic yeah was that that epic part yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and like dude that place was just like moto porn yeah it was sweet man it it was kind of like the beginning of like uh track builds you know yeah dude true before it was like you know it was like if you had a property you're like you're like out there in a bulldozer by yourself like piling up some sketchy track where you know that that was kind of like i'd seen some properties and some guys doing some things and i i had a a guy uh randy poulter did it first uh and then uh dream tracks after that but it was like i remember seeing it the first time going like what in the world like this is it was beautiful like it was art you know how how much did you spend on that that track was it were you like shitting your pants dropping that kind of money oh yeah i mean shoot like a, a super cross track i mean you're looking at like all said and done like pad and everything you're looking at like 20 to 30 grand like yeah it's a lot of money and then i think it's easier as you start to like build on the the property you know because it's like everything starts to compound because in the beginning it's like you have to build a pad and then you have to figure out how to harvest the dirt and then you got to figure out how to water it and and then you're going to do that again because you're going to build another one and then um and then you start to figure it out and then by the end it comes becomes more maintenance you know like just to do a knockdown rebuild is a lot cheaper than, than to do like you know a pad and everything so um yeah <laughs> I spent a lot of money out there for sure, but I, I, I kind of, you know, I drove a van for like five years. So I, I, I definitely spent the money that I earned like back into that. And so is it the same property that you've got now? No, I sold it at uh, the end of 16. Okay. Um, yeah, there was signed with KTM. There was kind of some talk about, you know, going down to Florida, whether it was, you know, I was going to stay with Timmy or, or go to Alden's or whatever. And, and, um, I, I never had, I'd always, it always been a weight on me. Like I said, is kind of managing that. I wanted to see what it was like. Um, just kind of like with the freedom to not think about it. Yeah. And so how much are you like, obviously you've got to ride a bunch now with Honda. Um, but so when you're in Oklahoma, are you still testing essentially but and then you just fly to California on like specific like we've got this this and this to do. But then they send you back or they send parts or bikes or like whatever over there. Like how does that role actually work in terms of how you split your time? Yeah, in Oklahoma, I'd say it's probably like almost all just um, like just me riding, staying fit, um, trying to keep a feel. Especially for Supercross, like if you're not like putting in consistent time you lose that timing and and everything so i test a little bit but it's like pretty infrequent so all the testing i did i would say 
Yeah, I would say all the testing is probably either in Florida or California. Yeah, and then you're just riding in Oklahoma just to like just to be kind of fit enough. Yep. Yep. Is it a different level of fitness you've got to have to be a test rider? Like, and like, what are they looking for? Like, are they looking for you to match the speed? Are they looking for consistency? Are they looking for time on the bike? Like, what's that role kind of look like? Yeah, I would say in the beginning, like, I, for me, it was like uh, speed. Like, I, I feel like I could match um, the guys. But now, man, like, I. I was like four seconds a lap slower than Chase last time we tested, which was like super discouraging <laughs> until I like went to the race and I like would have qualified like fourth or fifth. But, um, but I, I don't think I could match the speed anymore. And, and I've, I've probably, uh, not riding enough to probably maintain that. But my feeling on the bike has got in my way to articulate what I feel has definitely gotten more refined and so i think that's probably the most valuable and i can still go fast enough to be able to put it through its its um its paces but the way that i can communicate is probably the most i would say the most valuable valuable thing and so this is a bit of a just a selfish kind of topic here for me (laughs) But, (laughs) but like when you're riding and you're trying to test a specific thing like how do you tell what's your process what are you thinking about what are you trying to feel like what what's the what's the metrics you're sort of going after yeah it's um yeah, it's it's different for for different you know different if we're doing things. mapping yeah mapping or some type of engine part it's definitely different than um, suspension so like today we we did a lot of mapping and so there's I, I first thing is I try to remove variables you know like I always do the same amount of laps always start and stop in the same place I always try to hit the same part of the track um, because when you add variables you you can sway the outcome you know like if you're not hitting a jump in the say say we say we did a map part of the way i can tell top end power is how far i went on the jump you know how easy was the jump to do Mm. um so i use markers a lot you know there's there's usually like probably like today there was for sure three places every time i paid i got like hyper focused in those areas and um you know one was in this pretty tight reddit corner you know we've been working uh today on kind of uh our 250 has great response but sometimes it's like a little bit you crack the throttle and it's kind of it wants to almost take off on you so that was a perfect place for me to go okay i'm in second gear for sure when i open the throttle how did how did that feel how was that different was that better was that worst and then the you know another place i was like how what kind of miles an hour am I doing based on visual and mm. feel and distance how is that different in that area so I try to I try to if there's one area we're trying to work on I try to pick a spot hit it the same every single time and then just get information um because I, I think it's sometimes people confuse they come up to me and they're like man you set that bike up good and I'm like dude honestly I probably didn't set it up I I just acquired a ton of information mm. so where when it comes time to do the work with the riders, they've got like a lot of information to use 
and that uh, information has been collecting for like years now. And so, um, now you have a huge, uh, asset to where you can go back and use and it just continues to, 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 to roll. And so like with suspension, I'll pick a bump. I'll pick, you know, say we're, we're trying to, the bike is squatting too much exiting the turn. I'll try to find a turn that I know is going to be the same all day. And I know it's going to have good moisture and it. It really kind of exacerbates that, that feeling. And then I'll try to make it do it every time. And then when I can find something that, uh, helps that problem, but doesn't hurt another problem, then I, I feel like we've, we've probably done the right thing. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've tried to remove variables and then make it a process rather than just going like riding around the track and going like, I don't know, like, yeah, yeah. did this or did that. Um, yeah. And I, and I think like it makes sense to that. You're not trying to just take it over a whole lap at the start. It's just a very specific section or very specific, like part of the track is what you're kind of like applying it to. Yeah. Yep. And then the rest of the track too is it then becomes what did it do that was bad around the rest of the track, you know? Like if it fixed this one area, but it was just horrible everywhere else, like it's obviously not gonna gonna work. So the whole lap is still important because you're still getting information. But for me I, I really try to like hyperly focus on a couple areas. Yeah. And I guess do you take it like personally when uh you know, you. I think this year, obviously, Chase was having those crashes, and then it's like, well, you know, the bike or it's Chase, or you know, does it? Are you taking any of it on board? Like, damn, man, like <laughs> the bike. Uh, yeah, that that Canard guy, he sucks. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, for sure, in the beginning, like I would be really bummed if, like, uh, like if I remember Ken, there was a couple like massive misses right away, and I'm just like, dude, I can't do this. I'm not good enough to figure it out but kind of what I learned is like I'm not I'm never going to be Ken Roxon I'm never going to be Chase Sexton but how can I add value to them you know how can I make their process easier you know how can I wean down for them 10 parts into five um and then as a whole like if you look at our our platform right now how do we you know, being somewhat involved, uh, on the production side, how, how do we like in five years when we do a new model, how do we make that fit? Uh, how can I add input to that, that kind of boosts the whole thing? So I, I get, I, hopefully that makes sense in, in that yeah. like I'm, tr- I'm trying to, it's, it's more like of an, an entire approach as it is one fork setting that I came up with, you know, it's, it's like, I, I'm trying to, the whole package, like the whole team, like we want to try to all move in the same direction as opposed to like, Oh yeah, Trey tested the shock and it's amazing. You know, <laughs> I think that's what I was looking for in the beginning. Like, wow, dude, that was, thanks for saving my career with that shock. <laughs> but uh, what I quickly realized is that, that, I mean, maybe you get that, like maybe you get a great setting, uh, you know, once or twice in a year, but that's highly like the praise is highly to the suspension guy in the chassis tech. You know, I'm just the guy telling him what it did. Um, so yeah, that, I, I guess I'm pretty long winded a lot, I guess, but, uh, I love it. Same. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess what I, what I, I, I kind of shifted from like, man, I really need to be the guy to come up with a setting to 
how do we get as much information as possible so that when it comes time to be on the track, that rider has everything they need so that they can be the best they can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I take the stuff way less personal, you know, like when Chase had a couple of those crashes, you know, we changed some things with our chassis this year with some rigidity balance things. And, um, you know, I, I kind of go like, you know, okay. Yeah. Well it's doing that. Um, how does, how does that help us? How does that hurt us? And what do we got to do to move forward? And, and it's less about like, man, I really steer the ship wrong, you know? Um, which I think is probably better because it's less about me and more about how do we do this as a team? And it's, uh, just more manageable. I'm not always trying to like be super test rider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. And what do you think about the supercross season overall this year? Like, I mean, you're, you're like in a unique position that you're very, very close to the dude that won the race. And you're like, there's a, there's a lot of, in, I've won the championship. Like there's a lot of involvement there, but you're not there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're involved, but yeah. not involved at the same time. Like you, you'd have a interesting take on that whole series. Like where, where was it at for you this year? Yeah, I, man, it was exciting for one. I mean, um, Tomac really surprised me. Um, you know, I'd kind of heard some things about how they were struggling with the bike. And so I, I kind of anticipated them not having things worked out for like halfway through the series at least. And then for him to come out, like at first, <laughs> like the first race of the season, he was gnarly. Dude. Like he was gnarly. So that, that was like, I couldn't believe it. Honestly, like he had some good qualifying. Like, we'll see how it goes over 20 laps. He crashes and then reels everybody back in. I'm like, wow like, Uh-oh. <laughs> we got we got work to do <laughs> yeah. um but um yeah Ken, kenny surprised me for sure like i wasn't sure how that whole experiment was gonna go uh i was happy for him to see that it went well it's bum for ac like i, I just want to see that guy do so good like dude i know i, I think everyone's in the same boat but and he had some signs of, of of brilliance for sure but i was bummed to see tomac go out um, and I know some people would say like, oh yeah, Chase wouldn't have won, but the way he was riding at that point in the series and the, the way he was gelling with the bike at that point in the series, like it was, it was awesome. Like he was a deserving champ, you know, um, you know, maybe he wouldn't have got that if Eli hadn't got hurt, but to me, he was, he was the best guy on the track at that point in the season, kind of every time he was on the track. And I, you can't take that away from him, you know? Um, and there were, there was highs and lows for sure. But I think what I loved about what I saw from Chase this year is that he, he had a level of maturity that, um, kind of like what I talked about with the Lawrence's there was, there was a process for him and for sure he got frustrated at times, but I think for him moving forward, like if he can, if he can continue that kind of mindset that he had during Supercross of like, I'm just going to get better and I'm going to, I'm going to continue to grow and I'm, my speed's good. And I, I think I can win, but I'm going to, I'm not worried about how I qualified in practice. I'm going to go out and I feel like I can win. That's going to serve him well over the, the rest of his career. Cause he's, he's uh, a genetic freak for one. Like oh. the dude's just like a, he's, he's an got ass. some good, good gifts on it, on his side physically. And uh, he's got a lot of good things going for him technically too. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think it was interesting. Like, I mean, I, from on my comments, uh, I definitely was just like, there's a guy that can ride a dirt bike really, really fast and he actually just doesn't know what that dirt bike's going to do. Like some of those crashes, yeah. it was just a case of like, I think a lot of people were putting the label on him of like, he's overriding, he's going too far. Like there's a level that you just, you ride at that's like your level, you know, and every rider can experience this. It's like, this is the safe zone. I'm going hard, but I, I'm not getting sketchy. And then he would be in that zone and then the bike would do something completely unexpected. And yeah. I, and so that's what I took from, from it. You know what I mean? Um, but then, and then I think you start to see like the way the media was talking about him and like, there was like this narrative started getting built. And I think yeah. that there was probably a couple of rounds where he started believing that narrative and yeah. i think that and that, that was like it was almost like sad to see in a way for me i was like fuck i don't know that what they're saying is true and it's yeah. like when you start believing that because he would be genuinely confused i'm sure yeah like this is me yeah. putting words in his mouth but i'm sure he was genuinely confused as to what was going on and then you start thinking like maybe it is me like maybe i am overriding maybe i whatever but then he has the incident where it's like, okay, well, he's gone now out of the championship and it's yeah. over. And then there was like a weekend off right around that time that everyone basically writes him out mathematically for the series to have a weekend off. I think that something happened in his mind or there was almost like a weight got lifted off his shoulders when the championship was like taken off the table. And then he just started riding free. Because yeah. it's like, okay, well, the expectation's gone. I'm not going to win the championship. It's a two-horse race. And I can just ride. Now all I have to do is go and win races. And I don't know whether the, you know, the bike probably changed a bit as well. But I, I honestly think it's it was all in that mentality of like once, you know, once the championship was off the table, he really switched gears and he ends up winning the championship. And I think personally... If he can bottle whatever happened there when the championship was effectively taken off the table, the way that he approached those next races, if he can approach every race like that, which is very, very hard to do, um, then I think like that's like the best version of him is somewhere in that little zone. Yeah. I, I hate it because people were like, what's going on with Chase, man? Like he, he really throws stuff away. And I'm like, what is he throwing away? Really? I mean... There was the one in Oakland for sure. And yeah. he threw that one away. Um, and then uh, uh, Indy for sure. Like he, he made a mistake there. Um, I think I'm missing one other one. But other than that, like, I mean, he fell over in Seattle, but that one was just kind of like, it, I don't feel like he threw that one away. That was just a mistake, you know? Yeah. Um, but it was being, being built up as if like, oh yeah, he's never won a race because he's thrown all of them away. And I'm, I'm like, dude, no, he was in the front like every single race. But there's like two where he made these mistakes. And so I hated that because I, I think he did start to believe that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you're, you're pretty spot on. Yeah, like there, there was some changes a teammate with a bike to get a little bit of the weight off the front end. But it was like he he reached another level after that break, and he he rode awesome. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's it's funny how, yeah, the influences, man, like the the things that you take on mentally, like the way that they can kind of change, uh, you know, a writer's perception. That's what one of the reasons I'm so careful. Like I try so hard not to throw any kind of shade or talk any kind of shit like if anything all i try and do is make people believe in themselves more than that <laughs> more, more than they might i'm like all right i'm safe if i do that i'm overhyping jet lawrence cool i'm fine with it like you know it's all all good because like that shit can make a huge difference oh yeah you don't realize how much people take that stuff on too like and how could you not like if I, you know, had a podcast about your podcast and I, you know, I just <laughs> roasted, you know, how you did it and, oh uh, yeah, what did he mean by that? And it's like, how could you not take that on? Like, and, and it's not like you don't hear about it. Like everyone, man, did you see what they said about you? It's like, it's impossible to not take it on. Um, so I appreciate that because, you know, they're at the end of the day, it's still human beings and uh you you take on a lot of of what people say about you and so to i think you can do it in a truthful way like i think you can do your job in yeah. a very tr- truthful and honest way without tearing people down you know like and and i think you you do a great job of that like not to sit here and give you a bunch of fluff but i i, I it's too easy to like be able to talk about someone yeah. without having been in their shoes and known what it is to do what they do. Um, so I appreciate it when people can like talk about them and go like, whoa, that was going on, but not, not, uh, go like, yeah, man, some, something's wrong with Chase Sexton. Like, I don't, I just don't get it. You know, he's really messed up. Like he'll never figure this out. Yeah. Well, uh, dude, it's so funny. Like, I don't know if you follow UFC at all, but there's a guy, Israel Adesanya, and he's like the, the, um, middleweight champion of the world dude's just a fucking g and he's like he's got this massive youtube channel he's got like a million subs and he does like these fight breakdowns and all this shit and uh he won this title fight where everyone was saying like he he won't win and he walked into the press conference and he's like i want y'all to remember one thing i could do your job you can't do mine (laughs) and i was like bro you've summed up how i feel about my job in one sentence because i could not do that i would love to do that i would trade this microphone in to to be one of those guys but it ain't ever happening and i tell you what and hey adam cincerello perfect example like he started his own podcast he's gonna be like he's gonna be a g in this like media landscape over a long period of time it's like hey there's a guy that can do my job better than i can do my job and (laughs) i also could never do his job (laughs) yeah it's it's like a it's a like double-edged sword right because you know all my friends at home that that uh you know have just started writing over the last you know five six years they listen to it like all the different podcasts and they live off of it like yeah. it is the thing that gets them pumped up, fires them up for the week. And so it's good, right? Like we need that kind of like excitement, but having lived to the other side of that, when like people, you know, people said I was like, uh, just a crazy writer and like not very sound like technique. And like, I, I just, I bought into that a lot. Like yeah, if you look at a lot of my crashes it was like some of them were racing incidents you know some of them were not my fault um a lot of them were 
but um, you really start to believe like, man, I just, I just can't do this. Like, and, and so I, I, uh, I don't like that side of it, but I, I see where it's, it's, um, it's a necessary evil in a way, but like I said, there's a way to do it, you know, that, yeah. that is, that is good. Yeah. I think the more like writers that start doing stuff themselves too, you know, like there's just a, it's like the media went through a weird time where like people weren't really accountable, you know, like, so you could say whatever you, there could be like dudes and like, I mean, we saw it in the past, you know, like people can say whatever and, uh, and there's really no consequence because it's like, well, you know, what voice did you have? Like, unless you went on the shows that were criticizing you, which is an experience that you probably just don't want to go through. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, kind of that you can get a safety net. Like you could talk so much shit on a writer. Uh, and then it's like, well, where are you going to go? Like, where do you, where do you defend that? Where do you put out your own point of view? Do you even want to, yeah. I mean, dude, there's even guys now where it's like they say some crazy shit and then it's like, do I even want to validate this dude? Like, if I re- if I go back at this guy, like, I'm making this nonsense actually seem like a, a thing that I need to rebut, which, like, I yeah. really don't. But so I think now, nowadays, I think there's a bit more accountability and that's why I feel like it's maybe gotten better, like, even in the time that I've been doing this. But, yeah, like... Moto is pretty far behind when it comes to like the whole media landscape. I definitely think it's improving. And I think it like it's your point, you know, like there's a it's a necessary thing, but it's like I think it needs to evolve to the point where like it's like a an an ecosystem that's like fairly level, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean I think if you treat people like they're disposable, like they they'll they'll believe that, you know. Um Yeah. And if we want our riders to like hang around and want to do this, you know, it, you know, part of the thing of, of being a racer is your time is so short. Like it's hard to build a brand and, and, you know, say I built Trey Kennard, the brand, like really like your big money earning years are like probably five, six, seven years into your career. And if your career is only 10 years long, you don't really have that chance to like build yourself. So I guess what I'm saying is if you're just constantly tearing these people down, like why would they, we need to encourage people to want to do this. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, not just like, you know, get out, win their championships and just, just bail. Yeah. Um, oh, definitely dude. And you know what? Jeremy Malott said something to me one day that I will literally never forget in my entire life. And I'll apply it to so many different scenarios. It was right around the time that Chad was like, almost on his way out right and he was a monster dude and this is a red bull guy saying this and he goes hey jace it is a lot easier to appreciate the chad that we got than to build a new one and he was so damn right you know and like look at the resurgence that james has had i mean he was gone like he was completely i i'd love to go back and find the podcast where i said it but i've literally said i was like he is 100 percent coming back he he'll be back and and in it but what a loss for the sport if that dude doesn't come back the way that he does you know like look at what he's added in the last couple of years that he's decided to really come back it's like dude if if he went and like stayed stayed gone 
huge loss, massive loss yeah. to the sport, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, 100%, man. And, and like, you know, I was on the line with James when people would yell some pretty gnarly stuff, you know, like made me uncomfortable, made, made me want to like put my bike down and be like, what are you thinking? You know? Um, mm. so I can see why I wanted to disappear, you know, like to hear nonsense, like people said around him. So I, I applaud him for coming back. And like, to your point, like it's a, it's a major loss to lose these guys, you know, that added so much to the sport. Like, I mean, K-Dub, like, dude, dude. I, I am such a huge K-Dub fan. Like just not just as a rider, but as a person, like he's, he's always been so good to me as a, as a person, but I, I miss seeing him around, you know, like he's still, is still involved in some way, but I don't know, like he's such a great personality. Um, and, and I, I'm, I shouldn't, shouldn't talk about this stuff cause I don't have the answer, but how do we get, you know, those, that type of guy like to stay, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that, I just think that the landscape is evolving in a way, you know, like I definitely think it's going in the right direction. Like you've got Bubba's world, you've got, uh, you know, plugged in Adam's deal, you know, Christian Craig just started his own thing. Um, I definitely think that there's like a limit of writers that can like start podcasts. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I, I don't think it's like, that's just the answer, but I think that there's new lanes that, you know, people need to build and it's just, uh, it's got to happen kind of over, over time. But you know, there's like money in it too, you know, like yeah, there's, there's yeah. a way that people can make money. There's a way that people can, you know, like it can actually be like a, a profitable thing. You've just kind of got to find the right sort of way, mm-hmm. way to do it. But yeah. bro, I was only thinking about K-Dub just the other day. Like we were, me and Roan's actually one of the boys that works here. We were talking about the water crossing at, at his place. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I was like, dude, I was there. I filmed that. And uh, he was like, no way. Like, what was Kevin Wyndham like? And I'm like, man, that guy is a G. Like, they don't make, <laughs> yeah. they don't make him like K-Dub. Oh, dude, he's the best, man. And like the realest guy too. Like, oh, man. I, I remember like I was, uh, you know, my first year pro, like, I, uh, we were going to Anaheim one for like the press conference or whatever. And he's like, Hey Trey, c- can I get a ride with you down to Anaheim one? And I'm like, what? Yes, like, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> you know? And then, like, we, we like stop and ate it like a TGI Fridays and you had like a Coke and like pot stickers. <laughs> Just, like, <laughs> this guy is my hero. He, he would be like, you know, everyone were like riding shorts, you know? And he'd, he wore like whitey tidies. He'd just be like sitting in his bunk, like in his whitey tidies. I'm like, this guy is my hero. Like that's a real just, man right there. Just uh, like Harry Chess, like just had it all going. Like I, I love it, man. It's so good. Dude, we uh he got knocked out in Phoenix one year. I want to say it was like eleven or twelve, and uh and so then he like couldn't fly. So we drove back from Phoenix to California, and I was with Roger Larson. He was riding for seven at the time. Uh, he was riding for Answer at the time, and Roger was the seven uh, the Answer guy. I'd got on the piss all night and I would miss my flight, super hungover, I called Roger because I knew he was driving back. So anyway, we go, we pick K-Dub up from the hospital and we drive back to California. We get like an hour into the drive and, uh, and he's like, hey, you like football? And I was like, 
<laughs> I was like, not really. And he's like, well, I'm going to need your vote. And then he goes to he goes to Roger. He's like, hey, man, I'd really like it if we uh, pulled into Morongo Casino and uh, and we watched the, the St. Louis game. And uh, so, dude, our first game of football I ever watched was in Morongo Casino with, like, a blackjack table <laughs> with, with Kane up watching it on the screen. And, like, Roger Larson the whole time's like, dude, this could go sideways. Like, we could be sleeping here tonight. Kane, I was like, I'm going to write my name on the side of this casino. I was just like, bro, you are the man. And then he went out next weekend, did his thing. I was just like... You're actually the biggest legend in the world. Oh, dude, it's it's like to be like at Geico when he was there for like th- just three years was just like all time. He wrote the rules, huh? Oh, for sure. I, I remember one year he was like at Mardi Gras, like some kind of Saints game, like all week. And then he came out and like qualified first, like didn't ride <laughs> at all. Like that was so like, I remember we were like, we were headed to an autograph signing one time and he was like, how many times you ride this week? And I, dude, I rode like every day. I rode like Monday a little bit, Tuesday, <laughs> Wednesday. I did some starts on Friday before I left, you know? And I, I'm like, dude, how many times do you ride? He's like, ah, I think I rode, rode once this week. Like, <laughs> and it was just like, like blowing my mind that he, that he like rode once, which I mean, there's a lot to learn from that, but, uh, dude, it was, he just like, it was so cool to like, just there's not a level of like cool like k-dub like i just like man i wish i could be that cool oh you know that's like the that's like the perfect way to describe it just like effortless effortless cool not not caring about what anyone else thinks running his own program and just make it look like (laughs) butter every time oh dude I, i remember one time at the track he's like hey man you ever watched uh you ever watched planet earth and i'm like dude i didn't know what planner he's like no he's like i'm like what is it he's like everything you need to know bro from pole to pole (laughs) (laughs) and i'm just thinking this is planet earth he's talking about how did he just make planet earth cool like (laughs) it was awesome i I was just like big k-dub fan dude actually you know this will tell this is like a good k-dub cool story you know so my first ever national was parlor 2010 watch you wrap up your championship Dude, weird, weird weekend, actually, that one. Christoph Purcell broke his collarbone, tried to fight me at the after party. <laughs> I was like, I was like, hey, man, I don't know like if you can fight good or bad, but you've got a broken collarbone, and I just feel like I win. <laughs> like, just, I win. <laughs> like, we don't, I don't even know how good you are at this. Uh, but anyway, at the, at the, uh, after the race, I went up to K-Dub, and I was like, hey, man, my dad, my dad's just Honda, like, that's it there's not nothing else exists right and so i went up I've, i don't even have a jersey of my own ever well i've got actually a couple of people who give me some jerseys but i'm like not the jersey kind of guy right i'm like they don't need that shit in their life my dad's like please ask kevin windham for a jersey and i was like i was like all right i'll i'll go do it after the race he's talking to someone and i was like hey sorry k-dub like i know that you know they've probably given them all out already but like my dad in australia is a huge fan and like if you have a jersey like it would mean a lot to him and uh and he's like he's like sure thing man i'll i'll run back to trial finish here i'll run back to trailer and i'll and i'll i'll bring you one and i was like okay no worries and i was like all right fair enough like i'm you know that's pretty much a no 
Yeah. So I was like, I was like packing my bag. I was in a completely different spot, like packing up all my camera shit. And dude, he, I'm, I'm no kidding. Maybe 45 minutes later, he taps me on the shoulder and hands me a jersey and he's, and he's like hey who do i sign it to and i gave it to my dad and i was like that's actually him right there in one story like it would be oh, so easy dude. for him to just not do that oh and and that's the kind of person he is you know like it, it kind of hard to get a hold of him on the phone sometimes but uh like i mean he, he'll talk to you for forever you know and like be like genuinely concerned about you like yeah and I appreciate that, you know, like he's just a really good person, like just in general. Well, mate, I actually could say the exact same about you and uh, I've burned three hours of your time. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm so glad we got to make it happen. And uh, yeah, this won't be the last time. If you ever want to come back on, mate, open invite. And uh, I actually would like to just drive a truck to, to Oklahoma and <laughs> come ride with you one day too. <laughs> yeah, let's do it, man. I can't. I can't promise any pond crossings, but maybe nah, like good. some I'm good, good coffee or something. Yeah, some <laughs> coffee, some of that red Oklahoma dirt, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, man. It's uh, it's cool to be on here. Like just uh, what you're doing is uh, awesome. Like just being able to see the other side of people. So appreciate it. And thanks for having me. No, mate, anytime. And um, and yeah, just, uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for everything you've done for everyone over the, over your career. And uh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm definitely sure there's uh, more great, great stuff on the, on the horizon for you, brother. So <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. I hope so.